Konbawa. Hi, everybody. I am Jack. I just wanted to take a minute to introduce Terrorist Out. So Terrorist Out is a podcast about a show about six strangers living together, and we observe how they interact. All that they've prepared is a beautiful home and automobiles. And all that we've prepared is a couple of microphones, opinionated friends, and an hour of our time. There's absolutely no script at all. We are watching and reviewing, and we absolutely hope you love the show, follow along, and enjoy. I'm Michelle and I'm Caitlin and we're ready to get terrorists out a friend of mine was also like what is your accent and I was like I don't I don't know how to explain (laughs) (laughs) it's really like complicated (laughs) it's hard to say because it's like like really obviously not to do with (laughs) but I guess it's like kind of interesting because it's about language and this about culture but yeah, I don't know. It's really hard for me to tell because, like, I never. It's always like, well, which language did you speak first? But I spoke mm-hmm. them like I. I don't know which one really. Like, mm-hmm. like I didn't know which one. I spoke them both before I even knew. Like my parents said that like they used to speak to me. Like my dad used to speak to me in English a lot, and my mom used to speak to me in Japanese. Mm-hmm. And then in Japan, I would be like taking swimming lessons and it would be in Japanese. But at home, my dad would read me books. And then when we moved to L.A. when I was two and a half and they put me in preschool, they said like I went there. And then apparently like I realized while I was there the first day that like the, or like while I was there, like in L.A., I realized that this is where we speak English or something. Mm-hmm. And then I like somehow switched. There's like home video of my mom talking to me in L.A. in Japanese. And you see my face and I'm just like talking to her in English. And my mom's like, why won't you respond to Japanese? And I was like, because we're in America. (laughs) Well, you're near that young. It's like you almost don't really notice it. And then when I went to high school, I went to like an international school where there's like lots of different types of people. And I spoke French growing up. And then I kind of in college, I studied French, but I went to school in upstate New York. And then I also like studied like music and I was a singer. So I took diction and I'm really, I I think I'm just like, my dad was really good at linguistics and he could pick Mm -hmm. up like really well. Like he learned Japanese in 10 months. I feel like maybe like living in New York and Boston and Hawaii, like for period, for long periods of time, like those accents kind of influence mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It depends on like who you're around and stuff, like who you're speaking with. Yeah, like, I feel like when I'm here in LA, like, my tone goes back to, like, more, like, it gets slower, and mm-hmm. I probably speak more, like, valley-ish. I don't know. I don't really know what the difference is, but people have said that, like, the pacing is more, like, LA, but I just, I don't mm-hmm. get it. But when I'm in Hawaii, like, I notice my tone changes, like, mm-hmm. the to, like, a local thing if I've been there for a really long time. But anyway, like, it's weird to hear that, like, because I guess she's Australian. So she was like, I just can't place your accent. And I just. Oh, so to her, she doesn't. Yeah. Like, if you don't really understand. 
she was just like I just it's so different to me and she was just like I couldn't place it and I was just like oh yeah like it's just really it's I think my 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 accent is kind of like a melting pot like it's Uh not really one thing it's its own thing because it's a mix of where you've been and where you've grown up and and who you've surrounded yourself with so it's a mix I feel like most people are like that like my dad was like that too like when he was working he didn't really have an accent but when he was mm-hmm. on the phone with his family he would have a boston accent it would come out mm-hmm. really thick like super central boston accent mm-hmm. like park the car and harvard yard like that level <laughs> like yeah boston accent like intense anyway we haven't even gotten to the recap yet and i'm just like blabbing 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 <laughs> we are moving on so we're gonna get into a recap of what happened in episode 10 the boy that gets treated kenny <laughs> and tells risiko oh he shut the door on haruko when he actually tried to pry the door back open on the roof ruka and Corey went on a date to buy art supplies ruka takes her to get tamago kake gohang as a thank you but Corey ends up treating him to dinner because he's 20 this is where he told her he wants to be spider-man and she asks him when he meant he wanted to be a hero he when he grew up he literally meant a marvel superhero and he says yes the panelists comment that she obviously still sees him as a kid and ruka got really down on himself for letting Corey pay he said quote she still sees me as a younger brother i get that sense from her Kenny and Risa go through a party for themselves with a projector, hammock, bottle of wine on the roof, and they got into a good mood. But Kenny did not go in for the kiss. Ouch. I know. Like, what is up, dude? Hey, let's reflect on how Kenny said that he came into the house to have, for someone who came into the house to have an open and honest relationship, they question what he actually meant by that. Because when he said it on day one... Like, it seemed like he was all in, but his actions aren't quite adding up to his very strong statements from the first day. And they all agree that Kenny is being extremely dishonest. Yamachan and Shoshan's theory is that it's because the promotion for his band will end once he gives a clear answer either way. So that's why Kenny is being super evasive about who he actually prefers between Haruka and Risako. The panel gets nervous about the master and apprentice-like relationship that has now evolved between Yamachan and Shochan. They've bonded too strongly, <laughs> is what they're saying over the course of, like, a few years. Because they're all just like, no, we can't have another cynical boy. Like, no. <laughs> Chan rightly observes this whole image Kenny is putting out, though, isn't doing anything for his image at all. If anything, it's kind of hurting it, actually. So if he really wants his fans and like to like him more and he wants more fans and he wants more publicity, maybe he should stop acting this way. Like he has no backbone. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> thinks Kenny inherently misunderstands how he's being perceived and that he probably thinks he looks really cool. Risiko <laughs> tells Shohei that unless Kenny becomes proactive in more proactive and expressing interest in her, she is going to lose interest in him. And that is where we begin this episode. So we're going to kind of like start with Ruka and his whole Marvel superhero comment. This now becomes a big source of, I don't know what it is. Not like, not necessarily like debate, but like just a conversation. The house discusses Ruka's aspirations to become a Marvel superhero. And I feel like over the course of this episode, it 
it kind of starts to kind of become very clear about I feel like a lot of stuff that we might be missing and I feel yeah. like there been a lot of build-up probably behind the scenes and we're kind of finally seeing that come to fruition Mm -hmm. because I feel like till this point we've kind of seen this like oh cute Ruka baby Ruka cinnamon roll Ruka type thing and now it's getting to this point where it's like okay that was cute for like the first like couple weeks but now it's been a few months so like what gives and so Basically, at this point, because they've been seeing him for this long, and then they've kind of heard this big, huge aspiration, like, not just, like, I want to become a Marvel superhero. I feel like, because this isn't just, like, some random, you know, person saying, I want to be, you know, random, I want to become a super Marvel superhero. Like, even American actors, like, themselves, it's super hard. Like if if you've seen any like Google the Marvel superhero diet, like it's basically like like you can't eat at all or you're constantly eating. That's what it is, is the opposite. You're eating like every 30 minutes or something, but it's like very specific and you're constantly training. You're waking up early all the time. So Not everyone's meant to be a Marvel superhero. And that's hard enough as someone who speaks English. Mm-hmm. You know, as a native English speaker, it's very, very yeah. competitive. Or someone who's been acting for a long time. Like, I'm sure there's actors that have been around forever. Yeah, I mean, some of these actors who portray these characters are Oscar-nominated actors. Like, it's not a joke. It's not just because I I don't think a lot of people understand that, like, acting on a green screen is tough. Like, Mm -hmm. not everybody's cut out for that. Yeah. Like, if you've seen a lot of CGI-heavy movies where you're like, I do not understand why this acting is terrible, it's because they don't know how to act when there's nothing to react to. And, like, if you're just not one of those people who can do that, where you can react to something that's not there and have an imagination to, like, do that, then, you know, it's tough. So it's, like, there's so many levels to it. So, like, as so you can see through this conversation... They're kind of questioning, like, how serious he is about yeah. this. I, I think, like, because what I'm understanding through the course of the episode is, like, I'm not trying to, like, get ahead of myself, but, like, to distill it is, like, basically, because this conversation is, like, it keeps happening over and over again. So might as well just, like, condense it. Basically, it's just, like, you have to work for it. Yeah. And so it's, like, but he's, but they're basically trying to say, like, that his day-to-day life, like, how he's living his life and things he's saying and his actions he's taking aren't necessarily adding up to like like if you know that that's what you want like it's okay if you don't know what you want but if you do know what you want and that's what you want like that's a huge aspiration Mm -hmm. so like what are you gonna do so what haruka says is like what are you doing like to actively try to be a marvel superhero like because they try to say like so what is it about being a marvel superhero that appeals to you like and Ruka says he knows that he doesn't want to be a stuntman. And so Kenny asks him, like, do you want when you say you want to be a hero? Like, do you mean like Robert Downey Jr.? And then he goes, yeah, like Tom Holland. Like, and then Kenny's like, so like as an extreme example, basically. And then yeah, like he wants to be the face of it. Yeah, like basically like like, like that. Like you want to do you want to be like a? because so he's like trying to basically say in so many words, like you mean you want to be an actor, not that you want to be Superman mm-hmm. or Spider-Man. I'm sorry, Spider-Man. <laughs> So basically, Kari says that you want to be an actor. Ruka says yes. And then he says, I admire them and I would love to follow in their footsteps. So 
Kari then clarifies again to make sure that she's got that because he doesn't say, like, I want to be an actor. So she says, like, so you want to appear in a Marvel movie as an actor? She asks him, like, point blank. And he says yes. So basically at this point now, he's identified finally that he wants to be an actor because before he said he wanted to be Spider-Man, which is a role, but it's not necessarily an actor. So I think they were just trying to see, like, if he understands difference. Yeah. Because sometimes it's, like, very unclear if he does. So anyway, they discussed how serious he actually is about this. And Haruka says it would be cool to try to see him take try to take acting lessons or start to learn English lessons and, like, take conscious steps towards this goal that he has, which is a very huge, lofty goal. Like, even just, like, going to work out more, you know, bulking up if you want to. Like, I mean, I get Peter Parker is a leaner superhero, but still, like, you still need to wear tights. So, like, and, you and you know, if he wants to be Spider-Man, he could probably take, like, parkour lessons from Risiko, like, to learn how to be more agile, you know? Yeah. And that's why, at this point, Haruka invites him, basically, to go to the acting class that she invited Shohei to go to with her last week, which I don't think we covered. We think we missed it. We didn't have time to go over that part last week. But, basically, last week, Haruka and Shohei were talking, and on the on the couch and oh they were talking about his his role and he has he's gonna start filming this role for a soft porn film which we will discuss because we saw a little bit of that tonight and basically he invites Shohei to come to like this actor workshop that uh, acting workshop that's being run by her acting agency her talent agency and so he says yes and then so basically at this point you know they didn't know that he was interested in that so Haruka goes, well, would you like to come with us? Like, if you're interested in acting, like, you know, why don't you come? And then Ruka says, no, I think it's too soon. Like, I, I don't think it's a good idea. And then all the people in the house are like, why? this is an opportunity. Like, you don't get these opportunities. He has a connection. And then he says, well, I'd love to go. Well, can I just like, can I just audit? Like, can I observe? And then everyone's like well you should just participate like you're saying you don't know what you want to do and you want to figure it out and you're saying you want to be an you think you want to be an actor but you've never tried it before so go try it like see if you like it and if you like it then then push forward if not then you can pivot like you can spend your time figuring out what it is that you actually want to do you know instead of just being like I want to be an actor without even trying it or putting yourself in a situation where and it's not even just trying it. It's like you're being put in a place where these are professional actors who are already signed to an agency that are getting acting lessons. So these people are already professionals. So these acting coaches are not coaches that you normally get access to mm-hmm. as someone who just wants to, like, go take an acting class today, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Also, it's free. So normally you have to pay to go to acting class. Like, you can't just, like, show up one day, you know? And so. This is like a huge thing that she's offering for him. It's like, you should come. And he's just like, no. Like, and so that's part of also like fueling this whole tension that's happening. And then Corey just like loses her. She lays it out flat, honestly. Corey is just very unhappy with Mm -hmm. this. She takes a very hard line and she tells him that he's being extremely naive. And he basically has no idea what he's talking about. And he is like, he has no idea what it takes to be anything in like 
career wise. Like she just she just doesn't feel like he is serious. And she is someone who is very like serious. <laughs> She's a serious person. Like she quit her IT job to pursue illustrating full time because she wanted to be taken seriously by her peers. So she is and and as we find out, she has this very severe imposter syndrome. So I think she just has this like chip on her shoulder. And I think part of part of her getting upset at Ruka, I think, is partially what she's going through at the mm-hmm. same time during this episode. And I think that I don't think that added any help to this conversation that about Ruka or I don't think the whole situation with Ruka was helping with her own situation that she was personally going through at the same time. And I think that they were both frustrating each other. I think in that sense of like these two parallel things that are happening are very much battling it out inside of her. And I think it's just that point where she was like, she snapped and she just like, just couldn't deal with it anymore. And she was just like, no, like you need to just stop. Like this, you're being extremely immature. Like you need to sit down and like actually assess what it is that you want. Like, just figure it out. Like, don't just sit here and be like, I don't know, like, wishy-washy. Like, I think I want to do this, but I'm not going to try anything. Like, if you know what you want, like, then figure it out. Yeah. It's kind of her whole thing. And she's just like, if you don't know what you want, that's fine. But if you know what you want, then take active steps. So she says, you seem to think you can achieve success without any hardship. Without challenges, we can't grow. We'll never achieve success that way, is what she says. So, do you think that Corey's lecture was warranted? Do you think that, like, what she said, like, was it was it called for or was it uncalled for? Like, do you think that it was, like, out of line? What do you think about it? Honestly, I I agreed with her. I feel like I, I, I could see that she was frustrated with him. But, honestly, I feel like I would be, too. Because I think it's good to be a dreamer. I think it's good to have really far-fetched goals and ideas and dreams of what you want to accomplish I think that's amazing but I think the difference between people who actually achieve that and those who don't who just keep it as a dream are people who take actionable steps to make that happen you know what I mean he can't just sit here and tell everyone that he wants to be a Marvel superhero and one day you know Tom Holland's gonna be knocking on his door and I think that is frustrating for everyone else around him who you know can like he's friends with actors who are in the business like you know, right. he's friends with artists. Like, he, you know, he has connections. It is right. about who you know. And if you're telling people that you have this dream and this is what you want to do and you're not taking any steps to actually achieve it when there are people around you that can help you, it almost seems like, okay, well, it's it's just a dream. Like, it's not actually something that you want to do. You know what right. I mean? Like, if he was like, I want to be an actor, he gets invited to an acting workshop and turns right. it down or says that he's not going to participate. It's like, all right, well, then maybe you really don't want to be an actor then. Because right. anyone else who does want to be an actor would be jumping on that opportunity, yeah. like probably wouldn't even finish their sentence. They wanted to ask if they could go, but they would felt they feel like it's not their place. Yeah. So that if they were to get invited, they might just be waiting for an invitation. You know what I yeah. mean? Because they think yeah. it's kind of pushy to ask, you know, yeah. to be like, hey, if you're ever if your agency ever has any workshops like in your lot of guests, like, would you be down to like? bring me like I'd be happy to extend the same courtesy to you 
Like if that's the thing, then sure. If you have the ability to like extend the same courtesy, then that gives yeah. you a little bit more of a power position or like an equal mm-hmm. playing field. But I think like one of the things I do hear a lot from my acting friends or anyone in the industry is like there's a difference between learning acting and like taking acting class and then taking acting class that teaches you how to not just how to get an audition, but how to basically like win your win your role in your audition, Mm -hmm. like because it's different. Yeah. Like acting for camera is not the same as acting for an audition. Yeah. And like agencies will teach you that. Because that's when you actually learn that, I think. Like, I don't think you actually learn that there's a difference until you speak to people in the business or you learn that through trial and error. And I think the fact that he has these people who are opening that door. And that's the thing is, like, he's saying no because he's just so green like he hasn't even looked into that yet like he has no idea like he doesn't I don't even think he understands what's going on and that's that's just the difference like I think there is this misconception about creative jobs where people think that it's a lot easier than it actually is and that anyone could do it and that's why people don't want to pay like photographers or artists like they're just like oh I thought like I have this sometimes people and I know that a lot of my other photographer friends have this like they have this at like the highest level when they're working like for institutions like you know the Nobel Prize or like any magazine they -hmm. will nickel and dime you because they're saying that you aren't worth enough and like one photo is like a hundred dollars two hundred dollars no like are you serious a hundred two hundred dollars like you're paying for my skills, my expertise, my craft. You should pay yourself $100, $200. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm yep. studying and taking photography and doing this stuff and like spent blood, sweat and tears, like flying to different countries, going to workshops, like doing all. of. And this is not even counting like all of the photography classes I took in high school and learning how to develop my own film and like all that stuff. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you pay people for their time. And they're you, basically, because all of that time that we spent, those years that we spent learning this trade, learning this craft, learning this skill, you're paying me, you're hiring me to do it because one, like you can't do it yourself. And two, it's like, why did you hire me? If you don't want to pay me this much, then why don't you just hire someone else? And they're like, well, we want you like, well, why do you want me? We like your style. Why do you like my, what do you, what about my style do you like? It's not like anything else I've seen before. Well then like by that same, by your own admission, don't you think that I deserve to be paid what I'm asking for? Mm -hmm. And a lot of creators feel pressured to stoop down and not accept that. If I was like willing, the reason why you want me is because I'm worth this much. That's why you're hiring me over some, that's, you literally just said that. I was like, well, why? I said, hire someone else. You said, no. Like, well, why not? Like, you know what I mean? So if you mm-hmm. can already give me an argument as to why you want me, then why should I give you like a further, bigger, like larger discount? Because yeah. I would rather, even though I love you, even if you are a friend, like I will give a friend a discount to a certain mm-hmm. point. First of all, if you were a real friend, you wouldn't, you wouldn't ask for a discount. You would pay no. my full fee because you understand mm-hmm. what it's like. And you understand how hard I work. You understand my skill set. You should want to pay my full fee. I always pay my friends their full fee. I always pay my friends. I will buy my friends books. I will buy 
double copies hardcover. I will give my friends books as gifts. I will not ask for a discount code because mm-hmm. if you are my friend, I want to support you. I want to support yeah. your business. Like I'm a small, I'm a freelancer. I'm a small business owner. I know it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's tough, but we do it because we love it. We do it because we don't want to have to do something else that will prevent us from doing what we love. I wish I could like, you know, party all the time or like spend a bunch of money on designer stuff. But, you know, actually I don't anymore. But like, you know, like I'd rather spend that time working or like maybe not eating out all the time like I used to at really expensive places because to me, my lifestyle is worth it. And like that's and the ma- thing, like we we take on the hardship because we love it. Exactly. And I think that that's, that's something I really identify with with Corey. So I get what she means when yeah. and I get where she's coming from. But I also think personally, like I kind of we're going to talk about this this whole thing later. I'm going to skip over this Kenny thing really quickly. But like it just annoys me and I can't. But like uh, later on, we're going to get to this like completely different advice that he'll get at the end of the episode which I think is very valid advice. And I think I also understand that too, which is like, we have to remember Ruka's 20, 21 years old, 20 years old. Like he's a baby. Like think about us at 20. We were in college. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. Right now, what I'm doing is nothing like what I was doing in college. Yeah, and I am his age and still trying to figure it out. (laughs) Exactly. And the thing is like, you're also like, there's also this unspoken thing about the fact that he's on this program and this program is going to give him a platform. Him be- wanting to act and him like, you know, looking the way that he does and like having the personality that he does and like all of this stuff is going to propel him as long as he isn't like, you know, he doesn't completely drop the ball here. You know, yeah. if he keeps growing or trying, he has potential to use this as a like jumping off point into an acting career uh-huh, because he's like, oh, look, I was on TV. Like, I, he will make those connections. Yeah. Yes. And people in the past on this show have made that transition. Like, mm-hmm. and it's not off base for him to want to do that. If you look at this, Lauren Tsai was on Legion before this aired and legion is an x-men universe like the lead in legion is professor x's son that's the character and she was the co-lead in that show so like if you think about the fact that she started on the hawaii season of terrace house obviously she put in a lot of work but if you put in the work her story is that it's possible you know mm-hmm. so like if you were someone who wanted to be a Marvel superhero, truly, like you wanted to become an actor on the Hollywood scale, like that's a huge thing. Because, I mean, a lot of Japanese actors who are like nominated or like award, they they can't cross over into the American market. A lot of actors mm-hmm. have tried. It's not that easy. And so, but he does have this very unique platform of Terrace House and that it's global and that's what one of the reasons why Lauren Tsai was able to kind of become transition into this global star because the global audience knew her as opposed to just the Japanese audience or the Asian huge advantage exactly already building that exactly so I mean in, in that sense I think that like it's hard and I understand where she's coming from and I don't think that it's not warranted but I do think that he still technically has time. So I don't know if it's like 
I think they were just really trying. I think this is kind of more of like a wake up call. I think this is more like an intervention, really. Mm. I don't really think this is like, I don't know. I feel like this is kind of like a soft intervention Yeah. where they're just like, you got to like figure it out. Because like we yeah. have no idea. Like you've been here and you said like you first came here saying you wanted to like learn how to talk to girls. So like now what? Like now what do you want? Like what yeah. are you doing? Like, it's like each step he's slowly growing and maybe this is what he needs to kind of open his eyes and right. continue to grow you know like you just said like you know he wanted to learn how to talk to girls he's done that he's been on dates you know he right. I think is becoming more confident now it's like all right you're here you're getting this platform what are you going to do about it next and I think it's just continuing to help him grow so even if he doesn't understand it now you know I'm hoping that this does open his eyes and that he does start to realize what he can can do in the future yeah so going into Corey for a second, we kind of like I kind of mentioned earlier that like while this is happening with the Ruka stuff and his Marvel thing, at the same token, there's we saw Corey last week at the Beams at work at the Beams and Co. with a company where they were talking about the screen printing of her shirts for her gallery with a merch. And basically like that, it looked like it was going well. But according to Corey, we find out that they had only ordered, they, she made two designs and they only ordered 50 pieces per shirt. So this kind of like spurred on this. We don't find that out until later, but that was apparently this impetus behind Corey kind of reaching out to a former professor of hers from college. And it kind of like comes out in this, drunken conversation where Corey comes home one night from going out and drinking with her friends and I think Kenny who else is there I think like I just remember Kenny being there and I remember there's other people there but I don't um, remember I think Risico was there Risico, Kenny and Ruka I want to say I were there so yeah but she kind of like says that she was kind of basically what you distills down to is that she's suffering from severe imposter syndrome after kind of gaining some popularity unspokenly due to Terrace House obviously because at this point the show's airing so people yeah. know her they follow her on Instagram like now she's getting popularity she's talking about how magazines are reaching out to her for interviews and all this stuff especially because she's an illustrator so it kind of like works hand in hand with the fashion industry so it kind of makes sense so she kind of like got drunk venting with her friends and then she said she shares she becomes like very vulnerable and like this is one of the most vulnerable times we've seen Corey be since she kind of opened up to show hey an episode I guess two or three yeah it was a while ago really comfortable so she really doesn't open up and I think it's because she doesn't I, I don't think it's fair to say like she's not someone who opens up I think that she's never really given the space to be vulnerable because I mm-hmm. feel like a lot of other people are taking that space for themselves. Mm-hmm. And she's there for them. Yeah, there's only so much time to, like, stay awake and talk about things. And, like, if you're constantly talking about someone else, like, obviously, people aren't really going to know what's going on with you. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting to note that Haruka wasn't at this table. <laughs> but yeah. So, Corey says she feels self-conscious. She initially misunderstood. And she felt she needed to repay her parents with money. So, she got a corporate job working in IT. Because she went to basically a Japanese Ivy League school. Like we've talked about how she's very well educated and she went to like very expensive institutions and, you know, clearly her parents paid for it. And, or I don't know, I, it sounds like it because she feels guilty feeling like she needs to pay them back. So I, from what I can understand from that 
sentence and also from like little things she said like during the Shohei date when they went to that big garden and she said that her grandma had a garden like that in the house that her grandma had when she was growing up and there was a big waterfall in the middle of her garden okay it's not normal for like Japanese houses in Tokyo to have gardens like that like (laughs) those are like stone gardens like those are those cost like thousands of dollars to maintain and like the fact that they had a water feature inside like water features cost so much money and so, like, the fact that there was, like, it, it's very implied that she comes from a wealthy, she's, I don't know how to, ojochama is how we call it in Japanese, but, I mean, like, a, from a daughter from a good home, basically. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's, like, a good home, but, like, you know, what they would typically say in the States, like, I don't think, like, having money necessarily equates to you being good or bad, but, you know, I just want to, I think people understand what I mean, but I just want to say that so that people don't misunderstand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, I don't believe that that's synonymous but anyway she feels guilty that while everyone was risking their livelihoods and pursuing their passions here she is having gone for money first and not putting in as much time and risking as much as everyone else and like she didn't even go to school for like illustration and she's gaining popularity because of her circumstance and of being on this reality show and she's just like how much of this new popularity is due to my own ability and talent and how much of it is just pure luck in college she studied product design which is like she's basically says like similar to industrial design so she didn't draw much and then she emailed when she emailed her college professor who like taught her a seminar is i feel like it sounds like he was her advisor like her college advisor and he's she says he gave her a brutally honest opinion that she viewed as constructive criticism. <laughs> I think at the end of this, I'm going to ask you whether or not you believe this is constructive criticism or if this is just like criticism. Because okay. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to know what you think because I okay. have my own opinion about it. Mm-hmm. And I would be very curious to think of what the audience thinks about it. Especially mm-hmm. because this this professor, not to be like this, but like there is power dynamics when it comes to male and female relationships, especially in older male, younger female relationships. Mm-hmm. I wrote a paper on this in law school, a research paper. So basically, this professor is male. You can take what you want from that. I'm just going to throw it out there. <laughs> especially the fact that this is in Japan also. So mm-hmm. that's thinking before we start this conversation. So basically, she says, I felt like a fraud for not having gone to, uh, gone to art school. My drawing skills aren't great. Frankly, I was able to get where I am on sheer luck. People seem more interested in my resume than my actual talent. It's becoming harder and harder to accept that fact. I feel like my popularity is growing. There are so many artists much more talented than I am, and I'm not really sure what I should be aiming for next. She reveals that her professor told her she's been that Corey has been extremely lucky to come this far. That's a direct quote. And so Corey says she, quote, feels like she's been cocky about her own abilities. She says, quote, a professional artist might see me and think I'm extremely arrogant. Kenny asks if he thinks that the professor really said it that harshly. And Corey says that I've actually been avoiding talking to him for a while and that she'd been keeping her distance from her advisor or her professor but when she reached out for an honest opinion she said that she it made her realize her suspicions were true and her drawing abilities are weak and and just to let you know that was the subtitle saying that they were weak 
mm-hmm. verbally, Kalori says that she has none. She mm. has no drawing abilities. Okay. Period. Nashi. Night. Period. Okay. Just wanna okay. just wanna throw mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And she says, and that he said he was genuinely concerned for Kaori's future when she first started as an illustrator. Kaori says, at some point, I realized that that's the impression I give off. But actually hearing that feedback from him hit me really hard. We have plans to continue this conversation further in person in the future. Kenny then asks her, uh, says to her, even you have times like this, huh? And Kaori goes, this might be the first. Not exactly the first, but I think I've been pretending not to hear those opinions. And this whole time she's been drinking while this conversation is happening and she's still drunk. And alcohol is a depressant. FYI. So basically, I guess, first of all, I don't know if I should ask, like, if you think this is constructive first or if we should just go into the question that I had prepared or if they're even hand in hand, I guess. Like, first of all, I guess we can do them together. But like, do you even is this constructive criticism or is this just straight criticism? Because it sounds (laughs) bitter to me. Sounds like straight criticism to me. Honestly, there wasn't anything constructive. Like, I feel like with constructive criticism, they tell you, you know, they give you kind of analysis of your work, you know, whatever that may be. And then they'd be like, this is how you can help. This is how you can improve that. And he was just like, straight up, like, nah, like, I'm worried about your future. Like, (laughs) versus like, like to be honest like that's so like that's such a slap in the face like to be honest I was really like concerned for your future when you first started yeah it's like I'm sorry who like what is your problem like you're a professor I get that you're a professor like I'm, I'm sorry like are you just mad at me like I don't understand what you want like yeah like my issue was that he should have told her you know what about her art like what is your problem like I don't understand like I just don't I don't understand teachers as as someone who has also like I guess like volunteered as a mentor like ran a classroom teaching like screenwriting to children yeah of course sometimes it's tough when the kids get rowdy or whatever but like it's your job as a teacher to like teach them how to like to maneuver around that and figure out how to teach that child that's your job like if it was easy not everyone can do it so like you know like it's hard yeah it's a job you chose so like do your job like teach your kids like not every kid is the same like that's your job that's the unique challenge of your job so like don't just you know bully a kid because they don't understand what you're trying to tell them like try Mm. to communicate in their language figure out a way to break through to them that's your job not the child's job the child has a lot going on like it's just it boggles my mind like because I've I had I've had relationships with teachers where like it's borderline like bullying like where it's just like I had a, a teacher who basically kept trying to convince me that like I wasn't are you sure you can take higher level don't you think you should drop down a standard I'm sorry like, obviously, I'm not going to excel if you're going to treat me like that. And it's my choice, and I'm paying you. So why don't you, if you don't think I can do it, then work harder to help me, help me do it. Help me pass. Because I'm working my ass off to try to pass. I'm working my butt off. And your attitude isn't helping. Like, I don't understand why I'm the only one with a good attitude here. It's just, it's so frustrating when you're in, like, a teacher-student relationship. And, like, your teacher doesn't have a good attitude. It sucks. 
Like I, I also had an English teacher who I just, we did not have a good relationship and it was just really tough because it's like, I never even realized that like I wanted to be a writer because I don't know. I just like did not enjoy being in class at all because I felt like every time I raised my hand and she had to call on me, it was like a chore like that she had to. And it was just like, you don't want to feel like that. I also had a history teacher who made fun of me when I was wearing like a retainer after I got my braces taken off and I was lisping because it was like an Invisalign. And then I lisped when I was like answering his questions when he called on me and then he made fun of my lisp. He repeated what I said and made fun of it. And then I, I basically never wore my retainer again yeah. in school. And like my parents were so mad because they were like, we spent so much money on like fixing your teeth and like, what the hell? And I was like, well, I'm not trying to get bullied every day by my teacher in front of my entire class. Like it's embarrassing. Also, male history teacher, just letting you know, like women can do it too, but like it sucks when it's like, you know, because you're not, you're not, you don't want to be there. It's not like I want to be there. Like I'm here because I have to be. Like I didn't mm-hmm. choose you. Like you were my teacher because you were assigned to me. Like, yeah. And I, if you do that, like I can't like make it stop. I'm stuck with you. You know, like you're just, you're in a position where you can't get out of it because you're beholden to that class, that teacher. Like he, that person has power over you. You can't get out of that classroom. Because mm-hmm. if you tell your parents and your parents make like, you know, tell the school, which I've done. And then my parents would report it. And then the bullying gets worse because they're pissed off that now they're in trouble with the school and they got written up because yeah. you actually told them what they did was wrong, which is so screwed up. And they don't see it as being wrong. And they're like, now you're kind of messing with it. It's just really crappy. So I just I feel like sometimes, especially in Japan, like it just it really sucked, like where it felt like sometimes like you're just expected to like listen and like not talk back and that's and especially in Japanese schools too like you're not really there's no there's not so much like it's not really voluntary participation so much it's more like this is how it is like it's not really like questioning like where we would be like actually like teacher can you tell us this or that it would just be like the teacher's like this is it this is that this is that like and you wouldn't question it like it's not really the same it's more like like kind of like how doctors in Japan also will be like, this is your course of treatment. And then if you were to be like, well, what about this other experimental treatment? Be like, we don't do that here. This is it. This is the only thing we're doing. Like, they will tell you what it is. But my, so my dad would, would always say like, that's not great because you have no wiggle room. But like in the States, it's like the exact opposite where they're like, here are all your options. But then you'll be like, well, which one do you think is the best in your opinion? And they'll be like, well, I can't legally tell you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like this very like different, authoritarian thing when it comes to like teachers especially because teachers are considered a very high position of respect in Japan so I I would especially in a in like a college setting so I would see why she would view it that way and I don't think she would question it as being malicious even if there was because to me it sounds bitter and envious that's mm-hmm. what it sounds like to me. Yeah, and I feel because, bad that now she's looking down upon herself. Yeah, because she's now internalized this. Yeah. Like, she's completely internalized it because she said, like, it was hard to hear. She was like, she says it hurt to hear it because I was trying not to listen to the no- to this noise, basically. So she's like, it's basically like, she, people probably say this to her all the time. She knows more than anyone. As someone who didn't go to school for art, like, to draw, 
she knows more than anyone that she's lucky. Like, and that she, she obviously has a complex. She says she always felt guilty about the fact that she never went to art school. And like, I get that because as someone who doesn't, who didn't go to school for what they do now, like as, as a, like when I was trying to write and like, even when every time I sit down to write, when I first started calling myself as a writer or a photographer, I felt like I had imposter syndrome. I still do sometimes because it's like, well, technically, yeah, I didn't go to school for it and I didn't get a bachelor's degree in photography but like you know this kind of leads into my next question which is like do you think it's necessary to go to school for something in order to pursue a successful career in it in your opinion could you be successful being self-taught obviously it's tougher but is it even like is it even possible especially considering you have a platform the way that she does it's absolutely possible like i think there's so many resources available to people now that wasn't there before that it is to self-teach yourself. I mean, yeah, to take skills that are self-taught. I mean, I'm experiencing that now. Like, I went to school for journalism and public relations, and I'm now trying to start my own digital marketing business, you know? So I'm having to teach myself about business and marketing. You know, obviously, it was very, you know, a little bit similar to, like, PR and stuff, but it's not what we learned in traditional education. Yeah, it's not the same. I studied applied economics. So my studies were very like much more business than finance because I also had a minor in finance. But so my education was a lot more business heavy. But I worked in PR because I did I but I didn't study it. I did internships. And so I learned on the job. So technically, but it technically wasn't the same. So everything I learned, I learned on the job. I felt like I brought some of the stuff in from college, but a lot of it was just experience and people teaching me and like also trial and error and common sense. Like it was and also me studying on my own, but it wasn't like it's not I I get what you mean, because like if you said it would be the opposite of that. So it would just be like you studied PR and like now you're learning there's a lot of crossover, Mm -hmm. but there are things that are very specific to business or digital marketing that you're going to have to learn specific terminologies, specific mm-hmm. stuff that you can bring some of your PR into, but it's not, there are going to be things that you're going to have to learn on the go, which is mm-hmm. totally possible. I mean, off the top of our heads, we could list like so many people who aren't traditionally taught, like lots of writers. Uh, I feel like especially in the creative world, like artists, I feel like also musicians, a lot of them are self-taught. Like, obviously, like, you know, it it comes to a point where you do have to maybe probably take lessons or, you know, but a lot of that is talent. And personally, like, if we hadn't seen any of Corey's illustrations before, maybe I would be like, okay, maybe. But, like, I love Corey's illustrations. I think she's super too. I'm like, I thought she was really good. Like when he was just like, well, you have like you have no drawing skills and your drawing skills are elementary and like rudimentary. I was like, I'm sorry, who are you talking to? Because I I don't know what you're talking about. I don't think her illustrations are elementary at all. So I don't know who you think you're talking to, but I think you just sound bitter and like jealous and mad. So because she's just he literally said, like, the only reason you're popular right now is because of luck. And basically the fact is basically he's trying to tell her, like, you're on this show and you got famous. And you got cast, like, because you're lucky out of, like, 
billions of people who want to be on the show. Ooh. So it's not if you weren't on the show, you probably wouldn't be doing what you're doing now and being successful yeah. at it. And so like, yeah, like now you can like make it and like, you know, make it as an artist or whatever it is you want to do. But this is me like acting like the, the advisors like but basically like you're lucky like it's like the vibe i got and i was just yeah. like that is not a good look man like yeah because like the teachers that i've had that have been like mentors have made a huge like successful you know like uplifting aspect of my life that to have someone tear you down like that i could see like how huge that is like i even i only reason i went and studied journalism in the first place was because of my film teacher that I had in high school. It was him that was like, you're good at writing, you're good on camera, like you're good at talking with people, you're a curious person. This, like, I hadn't even considered studying journalism if I hadn't had someone that was like, I think this would be, you know, an outside person, you know, who knew me really well and knew my skills and was like, this is what you should do. And same thing with PR. Like I was in my journalism class when I, I felt like I, you know, maybe hadn't quite belonged there, my journalism teacher was the one that was like, why don't you meet with the PR team? Like, why don't you meet some of the PR professors and see if that's where you fit in? Like, it was people that were guiding me. She yeah. was like, you know what? Actually, Caitlin, you're really great and you're super talented and you work really hard. But mm-hmm. I think you might be a little bit more well-suited and more interested in this aspect now yeah. that you've told me what it is that has been bothering you. Oh, Caitlin, you're terrible at journalism. You'll never be a journalist. I would have been like, well, all right. (laughs) Skills are very rudimentary and elementary. You don't know where the camera is and like blah. Like that's so. Yeah, I would have been like, well, all right. I guess I'm spending four years doing journalism for nothing. If, you know, you think I'm never going to become a successful journalist. I literally want to like look at him and be like, you know what? Do you enjoy this job? Like, why are you a teacher? Like, like, do you think you might need to like switch careers maybe yeah like you should be a mentor maybe you should really consider not mentoring other people or maybe you should start teaching younger children because clearly you if they're closer to your age and they're actually making money like to me it just sounds like he would rather be making money instead of teaching and like he's mad that like he went to art school and that his student who studied illustration didn't study illustration and did product design and, and industrial design is now making it as a successful illustrator and he's teaching mm-hmm. and he's angry. And that's why he yep. basically like years later is like bullying her basically. Yeah. Essentially. No, that's probably what it sounds like. Because the thing is like at that point you should, if it's, if it's been a few years, he's, he's basically just like, you should just be like, I am so proud of you. Good for you. Like, and if you really were like worried like if you really there's a different way to say that to be like you know what when I first when you first you know quit your IT job and like decided to go out like as an illustrator full time I'm not gonna lie to you that did concern me a little bit because I was just like I wonder if she can do I wonder if she understands how much this is gonna take Mm -hmm. you know because she didn't study illustration and I don't know if she understands how hard it's gonna be and that maybe she's being a little naive but, like, I realized through watching the show that you really take yourself seriously. And the reason you quit your IT job is because you want to be taken seriously. And that is the exact reason why you did it. And that's really brave and courageous. And I think that that's awesome. And I think that's really awesome that you took that chance and you risked a lot to put yourself in that position. And now it's paying off. And look at what that risk did. Big risks seek big rewards. 
I would say that as a mentor, yep. personally. I think that's an awesome thing to say because it's yep. true. You should be like, you should take, you know what? You should take, you should take a little bit of ownership because that's your student. That makes you look good. Like, I don't understand why he doesn't see that to me. Like, that's just, it boggles my mind when people don't understand that other people succeeding doesn't take away from your potential to succeed you just have to keep trying like you might not succeed in the same way or at the same time or at the same pace but just because her art is taking off right now it doesn't mean that no one's gonna like your art and your art is never gonna take off and you know there's some invisible quota of like only a hundred artists in this year or this lifetime are going to be successful and she took the last spot like I mean this this concept like transitions into everything I think this is one main thing that you and I both know really well is social media. And I think that this concept is very prevalent in Instagram and YouTube and TikTok and this like this envy of people who make it, quote unquote, you know, like they just get so angry. And then like once someone becomes a YouTuber full time or something, they're like, well, I don't understand why you're putting all these ads. I saw this thing for the Tiger King, Tiger King, the show on Netflix, amazing, obsessed, has a podcast. And that podcast was available for free before. But then uh, the podcast did really well because it was really well researched that it got bought by OneView Media. So then it became part of a more higher kind of and they, they kind of took it off and then they redeveloped it or something and added more production value. And then they kind of released it on the platform, which is like a subscription-based service, which basically is only like $4.99 a month. It's nothing. It's four, It's like less than $5. And I went on the, right now it's like available, all the episodes are available now on Wondery.com, like on the, on the platform. But on Spotify and iTunes, it's released weekly. And so like there's like, I think two or three episodes available right now to stream highly recommend they have a lot of information that isn't in the show that wasn't able to be aired apparently that kind of brings a lot of cool light to like the show itself but like I was looking on iTunes at the ratings and like literally every single person like the ratings of the show are like at two out of like five stars because all of these people just have gone on this week since Tiger King came out and just are tanking the stars. They're just shit posting one star reviews because they're mad that not all the episodes are available at this time right now. And things like that, it's a mob mentality. It just takes one person to do that for everyone to hop on. It's five dollars. Like <laughs> you understand like how much money and time and editing and like concept and like stuff you think about especially on for a show like that where it takes five years of time and research this person lived on the on the zoo property with joe exotic which we know like he's in jail for attempted murder like i mean that's scary like this person like risked their life and like they're just asking for five dollars a month like if you listen yeah. to all episodes in one month you can unsubscribe and that's five dollars like yeah. it's one less starbucks it's like one, it's not even a Starbucks. You pay more for a Starbucks than to listen to this content. And people just assume that you should have creative content for free. One of the posts was like, I've never heard of a podcast not being available for free. And I personally was like, well, clearly you have no idea what podcasts are because there are a lot of podcast networks that are subscriber-based, which uh -huh. 
like, yeah, sure. A lot of people do give you podcasts for free, but why? But it's going back to that question we were talking about earlier when it comes to like, why do you want to hire me as your photographer? Or why do you want to hire me as your digital marketer? Why do you want to hire me? It's like, because there's something that you want. Is that is that is that really crazy? Like, I don't understand. I feel like this isn't rocket science. Yeah, like the people that don't understand it, I don't think are people that work in creative professions a lot of the time. A lot of people just don't get it. No, it's like going to a restaurant. It's going to a restaurant. You go to a restaurant, you order your dinner, right? You eat Mm -hmm. your dinner. And you pay for the meal. You don't just like say thanks for the meal and walk out because you're like, well, you saw I was hungry. So you asked what I wanted to eat. You gave me food. Like, why don't why don't you want to feed me? Because I'm hungry. It's the same thing. That's creative somehow like they've glorified this like starving artist like even Kaori says it herself she says I feel guilty for going for the money you know what I mean she's mm-hmm. like I people think that I just want the money well because like you can't like why why can't artists eat 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 why can't artists have nice things why can't artists have a nice house yeah like why do we have to be starving artists <laughs> Like, who, what do you think we're doing? Like, how do you think we're eating or living if you don't want to pay us for our art? Like, it's just, it, it boggles my mind. Like, it, I don't know. It's, it's really insane to me. Like, then, then people will, like, people will, call, like, DM me and they'll be like, well, I really want to make my Instagram look cohesive or, like, can you teach me how to do it? dude it's not that hard like yeah consulting is a job (laughs) you can google it like I'm not google like you I I mean I get it but like you also understand like you know me like you know like pay me for my knowledge like you know what I mean it's just like like, how many blog posts and youtube videos and tutorials and things are there exactly and and also like these things where people are like when I say I pay like this when people ask me how much money I paid for like a workshop abroad where I learned business skills like to do and they're like well it's an Instagram workshop I was like yeah you don't understand that Instagram is a one billion dollar ad revenue business and that was last year and each year it's growing so like it is a business like Facebook everything's a business like the fact that like I knew that Instagram was a business the day I signed up for it the day mm-hmm. I signed up for it that was like 2009 like mm-hmm. because I worked in fashion PR so like I knew what the capabilities were like I knew it so it's just it doesn't I don't know it just doesn't make sense to me that like people always look down on everything like they're just like well you know I just think that it's just like people just don't have the capacity to see or understand things that aren't already like tangible that they can or tactile like if they can't see it or touch it or taste it they're just like so dismissive that it can even exist. And then they're like, well, how do we come up with Uber? Or like, how can I come up with this? And it's like, well, if your actual friend came up with the concept for Uber and like pitched it to you, would you actually buy it? Like, I don't know if you would. So like, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would like to say they would. But then, you know, Steven Spielberg personally passed on Harry Potter. So I feel like, you know, it's just a lot of people just they don't understand what they can't put their mind around. And like, I mean, I guess that's that's what it is, is like just differences of people. But so, I mean, I also have to believe I think I I also like by trade have to believe that I'm one of those people that like I have to believe that you can that it's not necessary to go to school in order to do something. I didn't go to school for what I studied, but I really understand where she's going through here because I feel like I experienced this a lot. like. 
when I go to like cons and stuff, especially like literary conventions, I definitely feel imposter syndrome and looked down upon from literary authors or like people who did go to school. Mm -hmm. There are a significant portion of literary authors who went to school for writing that do look down upon speculative writing or like YA or NA writers, people who didn't go to school for writing, like who haven't studied literature in the same way. Not all of people are, but there are uh, a significant, I, I feel like it would be a disservice or like not truthful to say that like there isn't a significant portion of people who are like that because I've personally experienced it. Yeah, I too. And it's awkward and it's uncomfortable. But then I've also experienced like incredible literary authors who are like so gracious and like incredible and like so inspiring because they understand that it's not like it's just like it's like a love language. It's your writing language. It's your story language. It's just what you enjoy and how you it's your language of telling stories. And just because one is different from the other doesn't make one less important or less culturally significant or rich like I think there is a very important place for why I, I, I think one of the most important groups of books in genres category categories anything is why like if you think about so many classics are why little women is why like I mean if you take that away like it's it, I don't know it's just it's not something that needs to be one or the other but I feel like it's just very segregational and Maybe that was part of this old world, like, classism thing. Because it does feel very classist. Because a lot of people can't afford to go to school to study what they want to do for a living. Like, it's a privilege. Mm -hmm. Not everyone gets to do that. So it does seem a little classist. But it's like, how do you know at 18 that that's what you want to do for the rest of your life? Yeah, and then if you change your major three times because you, you know, keep changing your mind. And then you're in school, you know, for six plus years you know I've friends that personally experienced that where they're like yeah I didn't know what I wanted at 18 and as you know now I'm 21 and I'm changing my mind and trying new things like honestly I kind of admire that because I feel like I went to college I auditioned to be a musician and I was singing opera and I had a classical vocal performance major and I auditioned and I got in like if any like I had like I had severe imposter syndrome in America, like pursuing voice because I was told like people who look like you don't get leads and like, you know, operas and like, are you working out and like lose 10 pounds and like all this stuff. And I was just really depressed. And like, I realized like after I got date raped, I was just, I was going through a lot and I just like couldn't handle it. Like I didn't have a good support system. I lost joy and everything and I felt like I needed to change my major and I think it was good for me because I think I needed like something different at the time and it was like really I don't know I, I felt like I picked it because I was good at it but it wasn't like necessarily like my passion mm -hmm. so sometimes I wonder what it would have been like to like study something I was really passionate about but then again I did go to college like to pursue music and I auditioned and I got into I got into the performance program specifically which like a lot of people you audition for the music school and you are you become undecided and you have to audition to get into the performance program because there's only a specific amount of spots and every year you have to every semester actually I'm sorry 
you have to re-audition to keep your place in the program. And so I kept my place until sophomore year. And then I just decided that I wanted to switch. So it wasn't that I wasn't able to do it. But part of my reasoning for switching was I said that my voice wasn't unique enough and that I could hit tones and hit clear sounds and sing very clearly. And it's a good ensemble voice, but I didn't personally think that my voice was unique enough because that is what I had heard from other people, as well as I just kind of like internalized a lot of that. And I don't know, I just felt like I and, and that combined with a lot of stuff that was going on around me. Plus, like I didn't really have like a really good mentor at the time. And then I actually met an incredible mentor, my microeconomics professor was like the most incredible. He was my micro econ teacher and he was the reason why I chose my major mm-hmm. as business econ and he changed my life. Like he, mm-hmm. he supported me through like so much. Like he supported my dad when he got diagnosed with cancer. Like it was incredible. Like he is such an incredible person and I'm so thankful like that I switched my major and I met him because I feel like, I feel like that's something that you have. And like my dad also had a really wonderful advisor in college that told him and gave him great advice because my dad wanted to be an international corporate lawyer and he was studying French at the time and his advisor said right now it was in 74 and his advisor said right now there are only there are like tons of international corporate lawyers who speak French and do international corporate law between France and America but right now there are only four people four lawyers in the entire world who speak Japanese who do this type of law between Japan and America. And right now the Japanese economy is starting to grow, which was like right around when the bubble was starting in the 80s. And so he was like, you're really good at language learning. Like if you are looking to be a big fish in a small pond, I really think that you would be really talented at learning languages. And if this is something that would interest you, then I would really recommend it. And so my dad decided to take that chance and he studied intensively Japanese for 10 months at Cornell. And then he went to Japan for two years to work for a publishing house where he translated manuscripts and he met my mom and then he went to law school and then basically he kind of like went from there and then he became a really successful in his field and I mean if not for that advice of his college advisor like he wouldn't have pivoted and I wouldn't even exist because he never would have met my mom like yeah that's such what a huge difference that a good mentor makes for your life yeah it, I mean his life it completely changed the trajectory of his life like a hundred percent like he would not like it's it's really insane it's like the butterfly effect it's like one thing like that one mentor that that small advice changed his life he became extremely successful like he was named one of the 100 best lawyers in the world in 2001 like that and and he was on that list until he died in 2011 so it's kind of an incredible to to think about like that, like a mentor can really impact that. And yeah. like if that if a positive mentor can impact someone's career that like that hugely, how much could a negative influence impact someone's career in a negative absolutely. way? It absolutely goes both ways. Yeah, it goes both ways. And I think that as teachers, we have responsibilities to people who don't know otherwise or may not know otherwise maybe they do know otherwise thankfully or maybe they know to not just go off of one person and to ask for second opinions or maybe they know to trust their gut 
even re- regardless of what they hear, that on- that advice only goes so far and that at- ultimately you have to make your own decisions for yourself, which ultimately true. Like my dad's advisor could have given him great advice. My dad had to take it in order for that advice to be truly great. So like there is that dichotomy, like whether or not there is bad advice, like if you choose to listen to it or not, or if you choose to take that and you could take it negatively or you could take it positive, like not positively, because I don't know if there is a positive way to take what he said because it's so rude and hurtful. And no yeah. wonder she felt hurt because that's not supposed to make you feel good. Like the way yeah. he said that was there was no delicacy. It was just hurtful. I mean, he, if she had felt good after taking that, <laughs> it would have been like, all right, I would feel bad. I would be like, I yeah. think you just are a masochist. What did you think about Kenny's response? where he said don't worry about it it was just like I I don't know if you noticed but like this is I feel like this is consistent we don't like I feel like he says this to everyone this episode even to Ruka later where he's just like he uh, the the panelists mentioned this too where he just kind of like because he does bring up this conversation again like Mm -hmm. I guess we can ask that we'll just say like obviously so uh, he the next day he brings up this conversation a second time and they basically, and this is when she drops that information about the collaboration, how they only ordered 50 pieces of her shirts. And so she said here that, like, basically, it was always her dream to, like, do that collaboration with that company and that she always, like, looked up to that. And that was one of her, like, biggest goals is to, like, become a successful illustrator so she could get that collaboration. It's like, in a way, it almost seems like she's kind of saying, like, maybe I got it too soon. Like, if I had been seasoned a little bit longer as an illustrator, they would have, like, believed in my talent. Because she says that she felt that they weren't really believing in her talent and they didn't want to invest in or support her. Mm-hmm. And so she felt like she was, finally, she was so happy to finally get to do all the jobs she dreamed of. But now she got the jobs. It's like they almost don't believe in her skills. And they don't really care and she and she also says she thought she didn't care about the money or the popularity and that she thought that if she was satisfied with the work that she was doing and creating creative contact content that made her like proud she would feel fulfilled but then she realized after this experience that that wasn't the case and that notar- like like she wants people to like like her stuff and she wants people to pay her for it, which I think is fair. Like, I can make a living, like, doing what they love, especially for someone who quit their, like, secure job. So I think that's fair, to be honest. But mm-hmm. And then basically she says that she realized she was subconsciously making decisions that reflected that. And then basically she felt really naive to have thought of herself so highly until now because she thought it was above it all. And then she said, to hear my drawing skills are elementary really hurt. And I was like, wow. Like, like the more I heard, like, that's why I felt like this was this was just not constructive because it felt like one of those toxic relationship fights. Yeah. Like you slowly reveal more because you know that if you unloaded all of this out, you would be like, it's like she's battered. It's like she's almost like, well, if I told you all of this at once, you would have and thought he wasn't being constructive but he is like she's just like she's defending him yeah like which is i think she's internalizing it herself so she's not really seeing it i don't think as him it's just so sad and then kenny goes you'll be fine you're doing great (laughs) like honestly at this point like i don't trust anything kenny says literally it's like he was the one who asked her to have this conversation again like he asked her first of all are you drunk and she goes yes and he's like 
So did you finish that conversation? That, how do you feel about that? Have you like yeah. finished breaking that down internally? And like, he says, let's talk about it. And then he goes, you'll be fine. You're doing great. Like, then don't ask me. Like, I just yeah. opened up and poured all of my emotions out. And you literally just dismissed it with, you'll be fine. Yeah. Why did you ask me then if you didn't care to listen? <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Have you thought it through completely? Self-professedly says he doesn't listen to anything about other than music. So I don't even know why. Like, he tried. Like, he's just yeah. doing this, like, fakely. Like, I know he doesn't care. But it's just, it's, like, so obvious, like, blatantly. Also, I agree with the presenters that he wears his band's merch tees too much. Like, stop. We're, we understand you're in that band. Like, you don't have to wear your band tees all the time. Like, it's, it's starting to get annoying. <laughs> like, nobody wears their own merch that much, do they? Like, oh, and then here, Corey tells Kenny that she's impressed with how he manages his image and how much he researches how to get engagement from his fans. She says, you're very good at creating a profile that's easy for fans to engage with. Kenny says that when he feels like he can't get out of, like, a rut, he shifts his focus onto what he, think his, he thinks his fans might want from him, and that would help him create sometimes. Then Corey says that she doesn't think it's honorable to create things only her fans will like. She says that it might be harsh to say, but like Shohei, she only wants to create things that genuinely interest her. But after noticing her own reaction to the Beans gig, she's starting to question who she really is. And that if is she really this person who believes that? Is she the person who, who she thinks she is? Like, she, is she actually not that person at all? Which I can understand sometimes. She says that she's she's an illustrator, but ultimately she wants to move into doing more unique single gallery, like large format pieces, like paintings and things. Um, so she thinks she really needs to step it up if she wants to make actual moves to make this happen, which I think that was kind of like a little bit more context from her. I think mm -hmm. that because she wants to be more of an artist and she wants to kind of transition into like not just an illustrator. She wants to start selling off her own pieces. I think that's where this is coming from in that way, maybe, that we didn't fully get. But I still think that, like, if you become popular enough as an illustrator, like, people will want your paintings. Like, a Keith Haring, you know? Like, yeah. he's the guy who did the AIDS, like, human drawings and stuff. Like, mm -hmm. the AIDS walks and stuff. Like, he started as an illustrator, and then he became very popular, and then he started doing branding, and he started doing the AIDS walk, like, illustration stuff, and there's a lot more that goes into his popularity. But then, like, his he became so huge that he did start doing canvases. And, like, same with Banksy. Like, he started as a street artist, and he was painting murals on the wall, like, about to get arrested. And now, like, one piece of, like, art, like one huge, enormous original of his can go for like millions of dollars and millions of pounds. Like, I mean, you have to build up to that. So, I mean, I understand where she's coming from, but I, I think that that's kind of that missing piece that we needed to kind of understand that that's what she, I, I guess I, until this point, we didn't realize that that was her goal ultimately, yeah. like as an illustrator. And I don't think she even realized fully because she said that until now her goal was to get this collaboration so like the job she's getting now was her goal was her goal exactly so now she's like i don't know what my next goal should be and i think that that's i think that that's just that's normal like when you achieve a goal you have to be like okay well now what 
you know like i don't think that that's not normal i think that that's completely fair yeah step you know you accomplish one thing and you start building up to the next right so are you a cory or a kenny do you do you believe that you want to create stuff i feel like i know this answer for you but are you someone who would create things because you're interested in them or will you create things because you think that's what your fans want? And like you, you do you, do you put an emphasis on the creating and like the, like your art or do you focus on like the engagement and the output and like what you're going to receive? So I can kind of speak on both sides of this. When I first started out, like with my YouTube channel and even like on Instagram and stuff. When I first started out, it was very, very focused on what people wanted. And, you know, like I know we've talked about this, but when I was first doing book stuff, I had really, really wanted to move on and do, you know, TV show and movies and comics and all this stuff. And, you know, I remember talking to all my friends and being like, you know, do I switch? Like, do I add more stuff? You know, that's what I want to be doing. It's really what I wanted, but I felt like it wouldn't get received. So for a long time, I kind of hid that away and didn't create a lot of things that I wanted to because I was afraid that that's not what people wanted to see from me. In the end, I did end up switching and I kind of, uh, you know, a flip kind of switched within me where I was like, you know what, like I want to create what I want to. Like it's my creation. It's my content. It's, you know, it's me being the face of it. I should be doing what I want. And, you know, when I first, when I made that, like, yeah, people, you know, unsubscribed or told me that they didn't like that I had switched or whatever. But honestly, most people were happy, I think, that I was creating what I wanted. And now that I feel like I'm in a a better place with my content and stuff now, like, that's absolutely what I focus on. I'm like, am I happy, you know, making this first? You know, am I feeling creative and inspired and not just putting out things because I think people will like them? Because for a long time, I did think that way. And I think that hurt me because it took a lot of the inspiration and creativity out of me because mm-hmm. I was so focused on, you know, whether people would watch it, whether people, you know, liked what I had to say. And it wasn't, oh, did I enjoy this? Did I like what I said? It no and longer now, sparked joy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to put it because simply. I was, yeah. Yeah. Because I was so focused on things. But once I started, you know, talking about books and movies and comics and, you know, doing more like edited photography and stuff on my Instagram, you know, like, yes, sure, not everyone's gonna like it anymore. And like, that's fine. But now that it comes from me first, yeah, I feel like that's where I found my happiness at work. Yeah, I really love that. I think I really relate to that. Like, you know, I, I guess, like, it's not, I think people would be like, it's not hard for you to relate because, like, my main is similar. Like, mm-hmm. I've mentioned, to, I mean, we have similar, we do similar things. And, like, so I, I totally relate because it's gotten to that point sometimes or it's just, yeah. like, in the beginning, I feel like when you're starting something, there's, like, the newness of it. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to figure it out. And, like, it's still interesting. You're still coming up with cool ways. And, like, mm-hmm. I think, like, I kept trying to... I think, like, part of it, too, is, like, you're so focused on, like, goals and, like, you know, what you're trying to achieve. And then when it gets to a certain point, you're like, okay, well, what am I trying to say with mm-hmm. what I'm creating? And I felt yeah. like 
at first, like, it was just about creating, and then it was about the community, and then it was about, like, what I thought I had to, like, I, I don't think I had it as much as other people, because when I started in Bookstagram, I was a little bit older, and so I, I think at that point, I had been on Instagram for a while, too, and I just, like, I felt like I had a healthier relationship with it, because I knew it was a business. So in that way, I felt like also through the filter of books, like it, I felt like there could be like um, like a, it was it was it was something I was used to because I used to do fashion PR. So like when I got into Bookstagram, I got into it because I thought like, well, because I was writing and I was writing, working on a book and and workshop. I learned that, you know, most publishing houses, if they do buy your book, if you're lucky to get traditionally published, most publishing houses won't put a lot of money to back you unless you're like you know, a big name or like you kind of have a following already if you're Stephen yeah. King or you're a YouTuber or you, you're a reality star, like they'll put more money behind you if you, if they, if they believe in you, basically what Corey is saying, if they want yeah. to invest in, if they believe yeah. you're worth investing in. And most of the time, like there's not that much money. So uh, most people have to rough it and tough it and really like sell their own book and even the people who do get a little bit of money a lot of that is selling yourself and selling your own image selling your brand selling your books mm -hmm. like selling yourself like that's being an author and I figured out I figured like I had this background in fashion PR like what is the best way to transition that because even though PR is the same the industry is different so there's gonna be things I'm gonna have to learn so just like what is the best way to learn that Instead of like, I'd rather learn it now than before, like then on while I'm marketing, because I'd rather like trial and error as soon as I can, if I have the opportunity. So I was like, you know what, the best way to start making contacts and learning the ins and outs of Bookstagram and PR and marketing is to for me to get into Bookstagram and yep. learn it myself through doing it. And so I started blogging online. I blogged for Fantastic Flying Book Club. I joined like Nat Galley. I joined like all those things. I started, I was reading like one summer, I was reading like eight books a week and reviewing. And it was, it got to a point where it was really intense and I had to, and I was traveling and I was like, I, this is not like sustainable. <laughs> and I had to pull back. But, but in the beginning I was, re I like pulled myself into it. But at that point, like if I read, it was, I could read eight books a week because it got to a point where like I, I was reading so many books that I, my rating dropped to like, a, as soon as it hit a three star, I would reach out to the publisher and I'd be like, hey, I'm at three stars. Do you want me to finish the book or what do you want me to do? Because mm -hmm. I, and then if they were like, we don't want you to write because I know that like I would I would tell them I would write the review, but I would hold it for like a week or two after the initial release mm -hmm. because I would just be like, you know, if you want me to write it and like, you know, I'd be happy to. But I am letting you know I'm at a three right now. And I think and I would let them know, like, if it's because of like, I'll let them know why. Like, I'll be yeah. like, you know, these is, this is why. And most of the time, if it's like, if it's because I just don't think I'm the right audience, because I am technically like at the time I was in my late 20s. So I was just like, I'm not a, a teen. So I do understand that this is marketed for teens. But mm -hmm. and I just don't think that this is it's just too young for me. Or like yeah. I or if I'd read something, I'd be like, this is not this is not YA. Like, I'd be like, this is trash. <laughs> It's just, it's an adult trying to write YA. It's obvious. Yeah. It's too, no. Like, and, and like, it, I could find, I could figure it out really fast. And like, it got to a point where like, I could really understand the formulas. And so I started making connections that ended up helping me into like sensitivity reading work and that sort of paying. And like, that was really cool. And so like, 
it kind of like fed into like all these other jobs and things and then you know while I was doing that I really like I wanted to keep I don't know I was teaching myself Lightroom and Photoshop and all the stuff to like keep it interesting and I wanted to learn a skill so then I just kind of like after I started learning Instagram and bookstagram and I kind of like I started doing like photo challenges like trying to like I don't know engage and then it got to that point where it just like moved to the next level and then it got to a point where it's just like when you kind of get to that point and you're like okay well now what like unless you stop to think like what am I trying to communicate like then you're just like bored or you just like don't like there's no joy behind it anymore it just becomes like a transaction it becomes business so like because the whole point of me starting it was to learn the business I feel like it got to a point where I learned it and I was just like okay now what and like it gets to the point of like, okay, well, what do I, re- what gives me joy? What brings me passion? And I felt like I needed to take some time away to like rediscover that almost. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just tough. And I get, I get it. It's it, like people, some people might not support that, but I feel like ultimately, like you don't want those people because they don't really have your best interest at heart anyway. Yeah. So like, Absolutely. if anything, like, you know, you probably aren't, the best content for them either and you know they probably would have a better time enjoying uh, someone else's content so like I also don't take it personally if someone doesn't enjoy my content like I'd prefer if they didn't tell me to my face like I hate your content like I don't think you need to say that if it's not for you it's not for you I think that's fine like I don't think everyone is meant for everybody so Mm -hmm. you know like like I'm sure Terrace House isn't meant for everyone but like I like it and that's why I talk about it it's just interesting yeah when I took a step back to like relook like what you said earlier like once you take a step back and you're able to see things in different lights I think that's where it makes a huge difference like Mm -hmm. for me like I the big switch for me was when I did my Doctor Who trailer reaction that was the first time I'd ever done anything like that and I remember how quickly that blew up. And it was the first time I had ever gotten any kind of like outside media attention. Right. But that is where like I started to notice right. the way that I approached my channel mm-hmm. was very different. Yeah. You, know, you were doing something you loved. So like yeah. that translated on screen, which is why it took off. Yeah. And that was something I never really thought about before because I was like, oh, like I just did that. You know, I was talking about purely books that doing a trailer reaction you know was different but yeah. it was something that I was always interested in and then I think once you see that or at least when I did like when I saw that was kind of kind of the turning point I felt like right. for me where I was like no I need to create things that I want to be doing mm-hmm. plus like that's that's also that first step too because like as you were saying that was your first trailer reaction I had to take that so leap like yeah if I hadn't I would have never realized yeah because like the unknown is like what scares people and that's a lot of reasons why people like even in general like in in, this is not just in like work or career this is also in relationships or like gender or identity or sexual orientation who you love like people are afraid of things that they don't understand or they haven't experienced themselves yet or something that is unknown to them so that's why when you try something new, even if it's something you wanted to try your whole life and this is what you've always wanted to do, that first time to try it is so hard because you want it so bad and you're like, there is that noise and that voice in your head that says, what if you're not good 
You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, Always. so because that, that's what you're scared of. You're not scared of failing. You are a little bit, but you're more scared of not being good at it. But two, I think you're more scared of actually not enjoying it at all mm-hmm. because this is the source of your joy. And if you try it, something that you've never tried before that you love so much, and if you find out, one, you're not good at it, or two, you don't even enjoy it, actually, like, that is the worst. I feel yeah. like that disappointment is what pe- what scares people, because that's the, that's the scary thing. You just don't, being vulnerable is scary, like, you know, so it's uncomfortable, but unless you do that, like, that's when you finally get, I mean, I remember when, like, I read that article and when you, the Hollywood reporter mm-hmm. wrote about your Avengers yeah. Endgame. My, um, yeah, my Infinity War. Yeah, your Infinity reaction. War post reaction. Yeah. So you, she made a, uh, Caitlin made a reaction video after watch immediately in her car, immediately after getting out of <laughs> Infinity War. And she was driving her car and just sobbing. And this got picked up like all over and it was on the Hollywood Reporter and they like listed her by name and like didn't just like write about her like just reference her 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 actual video but they like wrote about her yeah. and like the entire base of the article like I was the source of the story for them to write about how fans react to Infinity War and the impact that like the pop culture impact that Marvel has. And I was like, wow, they, like, I studied journalism. I was like, they took me as a basis <laughs> for an entire story. You were the pitch, basically. They watched yeah. your video, they pitched you, and then that's why they added you. And, like, that's the thing is, like, that's also because you are a passionate Avengers fan. You are, like, mm-hmm. you were, you've been reading Avengers, watching Avengers movies, like, you read the comics, like, you are such a passionate fan. And so, like, that video was literally pure you. You're reacting <laughs> in real time to the video, and that's what's in the articles, and that's what gets picked up. So, like, that mm-hmm. shows you actual, like, it's a case study and, like, mm-hmm. what you do and what you're passionate at. Even if that isn't, like, going to be forever, because you've also mentioned on the pod, like, how you realize that the trailer reaction model for you wasn't sustainable, and that was something yep. that you realized for yourself. Yep. And, like... But it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that that was such a valuable lesson for you and that like doing what you really want to do and the content that you really want to create is what is going to resonate and what is going to give you that actual connection and platform and like voice that you're looking to have. And I feel like that is such a powerful experience. Catalyst that allowed me to kind of transition. You know, even though I don't do trailer reactions now, like that was my way of incorporating those kinds of things and topics into my content. Honestly, it was a very valuable lesson for me as well. Like as your friend, it's like almost like I got to reap the benefits of like <laughs> learning from your lesson almost. Yeah. Like I re- honestly like I'm I'm being completely honest and like I 100% also learned a lesson like very valuable multiple valuable lessons from your experience in that mm-hmm. like honestly like it really is it's so true that like what you do and like doing what you want and like the things that you believe in and like and not thinking about how people will react because like 
you posted it and you just like and then later you were like I'm crying like I can't believe they're writing about how oh my god everyone is like I can't believe if I think about how many people have seen me cry in the car yeah Yeah. no it went viral like few days after I had literally never had gone viral before in few days I think the videos now is like 400,000 something like absolute insanity and i'm like these people just saw me literally saw my eyes out in my car like something only my closest friends <laughs> have seen you were you put yourself you allowed yourself to be vulnerable like that you didn't you were like you know what i'm just going to do it because i feel like this is exactly what i need to be putting out and you were not self conscious you were like i'm going to do it and you did it and that in you see big risks big rewards like I I just think that like that's a very big theme like I just I I I really believe that I think they have to be big risks that are like at least you know within like a big risk but like a a risk that's within like kind of a reach like not something Mm -hmm. completely out of left field like you already made YouTube videos you had content that is like adjacent to like that is adapted content so it's like obviously it's completely different and like, but it is within like you do make YouTube videos, so it's not yeah. like suddenly you were like, I'm gonna like fly a plane and like, <laughs> you know, like it needs to be within yeah. reason, but like, <laughs> but you know, but but obviously like something huge that you didn't expect to have that immediate reaction, mm. like yeah. that first video or that Avengers reaction, like it was so unexpected in the moment and like I see it I'm like well of course it would do well and like seeing that it does well is like makes sense to me but like if I were to be like this is gonna be if someone to be like do you think this will go viral I would be like I don't know like yeah you I'm know? like I don't, I don't know like I don't understand how it works I'm like it just gonna happen <laughs> sometimes I post photos and like they some of them do really well and like I get like a thousand light and I'm like I don't what am I doing that different like I just yeah, I posted a video I posted a photo very similar to this one a couple months ago and it, I don't get it like you know what I mean it's just like something that hits I don't know it's just like I guess it's like timing and everything but anyway we are getting carried away from ourselves so when we do these podcasts, I ha- we have show notes that are like, you know, Google document table. And like we have the time basically like organized with our notes. And like we have like little estimated time for like each segment to like keep us on track, which I have really hard time <laughs> abiding by. But Shohei got cast in a pink film, which you see earlier in the episode in the boys room. We see a script a little bit. I think he shows it to Haruka. And Haruka's, like, reading the script, and it's, like, dirty. So, like, I feel like you also need to know a little bit about the Japanese porn industry, which is, like, complicated. But if you're really interested in it, I highly recommend this scripted Netflix series. It's Japanese, so subtitled. But, like, you know, it's this day and age, Parasite won Best in Film. Like, you can, it's subtitles. Just read. It's not that hard. It's fantastic. It's a fantastic series called The Naked Director. And it's based on the actual like rise of porn industry, the porn industry in Japan and like the rise of the biggest female like porn star and equality and like sex, sex professionals. And then this like salary man who he comes home to find his wife screwing his friend 
and basically like becomes this like huge like leading porn actor slash director that tries to kind of reform the Japanese porn industry from this shameful like mob heavy industry into something that's a little bit more like putting the powers in the hands of the performers and the people who are creating the content as opposed to the mob and trying to kind of like bring it closer to the American system because in Japan there's like there's a legal like a statute that's like a like a lewd and lascivious I don't know how to say the word anymore I don't know how to pronounce it either I know which word you I don't know I think it's that anyway I might be saying it wrong I can't say it anyway there's a law so basically any sort of porn it's blurred out so you can't actually see anything everything is blurred out so like they don't so sometimes they don't actually have sex because it's blurred so you can't even see anyway so like they're not technically even having sex when they're filming in japan so like in that sense like it's very different so they have different levels of like porn because they don't even like because porn itself is very heavily regulated and also they don't sell like like playboys and stuff like that like they would never like leave that out like it's covered in complete like foil like aluminum foil film and like they're not left outside where people can see them like it's very strict like you could go to jail for it like if you watch the series if you're interested in it or if you want to google it it's really interesting there's a huge culture behind that but because of this like level of stuff and like hardcore porn or what any real porn is like blurred out there's this very like a thriving basically industry of what they call pink films which is softcore porn basically it's like a cinemax movie or like a showtime skinemax like type film um where it's like a little bit of a dirty film or like it would just be like a like an nc-17 okay basically anyway yeah but it like it doesn't seem like it would be like i don't i'm trying to think of like what would be the same but i'm just like it's like cinemax movies like that's yeah. that's the only real like i i that's like the only real like american cultural equivalent i feel like there is anyway the title of this movie that he is in is is loosely translates to virgin concerto <laughs> yeah i mean honestly i was really surprised they showed that much of the scene like yeah yeah and like why I asked the question is like why do you think that Terrace House chose to include this? Because I'm like they could have easily just like showed him like on set, you know, like the part where he like walks in, he's just wearing the robe, and they're like, "This is Shohei," you know, he's our, you know, he's he's playing what did we say like youngest employee or something like that. Like the show could have totally just left it there, but they decided to show the filming. You know what I mean? Like I thought that was like really interesting. It was very, like, I mean, if you keep seeing, like, I don't know what it is, but, like, throughout the series this season, I feel like there's a lot more sexual, not sexual, but, like, I feel like this show, like, there's a lot of innuendo, like, Mm -hmm. the panelists, like, they make jokes about sex and virgins and things all the time, but it's more, but it's, like, I mean, it's, like, sexual harassment, technically, but, like... I mean, it's, like, lewd jokes, but, like, it's not really, I don't I feel like this is, like, next level. I just, yeah. I, I was just, like, really, I was just, like, wow, okay, we're going there. I was a little surprised. But, I mean, he, you could see he's very professional, so I was surprised. 
that they showed softcore port. I mean, you could see his balls. <laughs> like, you you're not. Like, they were kind and of the girl hanging. he was acting with, like, you saw a lot of her. Like, you know, because, like, even, like, on The Bachelor, like, if a girl's wearing a thong bikini on The Bachelor, they put a big yeah. old square, like, over her no, butt. This is kind of like Game of Thrones to me. Yeah, yeah. Where I'm like, they're, like, most TV shows, like, they're... Yeah. They Honestly, if this was on a network show, they would never do this. But it's not like they're having actual sex. Yeah. But, like, I've never, ever, ever... I don't think I've ever seen a reality show where there's been, like, this level of nudity. And the fact... The com- okay, do the commentators talk about it in the, like, commentary? But I was very surprised, like, even at the end of the episode, like, the commentators never talked about this scene. They got too distracted by all the other drama. Yeah, I was like, I was, like, waiting for someone to, and none of them talked about it. I was like, are we just going to ignore that this oh, I forgot. So they technically do talk about it because of the audio commentary yeah. that's happening. So that's what I was wondering. And I actually for I didn't listen to it with the audio commentary today. So I don't know what they said. Damn it. I wish I could say it. Uh I might I might actually listen to it again after we finish recording uh-huh. and add an insert of what they were saying. Because <laughs> now I'm fascinated and I feel like I should have listened just for that segment. I really just want to go back and listen to it right now. I just so I went back and watched the Shohei pink film scene with audio commentary. It feels kind of dirty to like go back and rewatch it. Specifically is the only part of the episode I'm watching. Talking about the panelists' reactions to this pink film. They were all actually extremely surprised that they were showing this much. Shoshan, Yamachan, Tokui-san, almost all of them audibly commented on the fact that this scene ran kind of long on the longer side and they were just feeling kind of uncomfortable. One thing that they mentioned was how Shohei coming into the room in a robe in that manner just really suited him and it reminded me of how they've been referring to him as a porn star since the first episode. So it kind of makes me think like which came first, the chicken or the egg? Like did these pink film softcore porn people reach out to Shohei because the people of the show kept referencing that he seemed like he had porn star energy I don't know I thought that was funny and something interesting to consider considering that there's this entire thing happening right now they commented on the actress's name now and basically I think they use her actual name in that scene because I remember him calling her now and they commented on how Shohei's hands seemed very awkward. They were cupped in a weird way where he wasn't actually touching the actress Nelson's body in a proper way. They were just like oddly cupped and it looked really weird. And the Ayama-chan mentioned how he thought that Noah and Sena's makeout session in that club on the bench in that one episode at uh, opening new doors when they hook up 
That first time was much more steamy <laughs> compared to this one. But basically, it kind of just shows you that after they shoot the scene, they show you the monitor, and it seems a lot more steamier on screen than it actually was in person. And you see his hands weren't really in the shot. So that might have been why he felt uncomfortable trying to like put hands when he didn't really need to do that because the camera wasn't shooting that. But, you know, from an angling point on our perspective, it seemed a little awkward. So I thought it was kind of like fair for you, son, to kind of mention that the panelists audibly notice how he looks a little bloated, but I think it just looks like he just have has a lot of like makeup on that makes that looks a little darker than his skin tone. They tell Shochun to replace him really quick and jump in and teach him how to act because he seems a little unnatural. But then they kind of when Tori Chan says she's not gonna look and they tell her they everyone in the panel tells her to kind of like put her eyes like shut her eyes and put her hands over them Yamachan kind of very like simply says well it's basically the same thing it's just a work scene it looks exactly it's basically exactly the same thing as Kaori going to beams and designing her shirts so fair Okay, anyway, <laughs> I literally, I'm surprised. Honestly, I think they would have been shocked. I feel like they were like, oh, I can't believe they're showing this much because I don't think they would have expected that because they've yeah. never, wa- like, even when the girls in the house, because when the girls in the house go in the tub, they don't show their boobs mm-hmm. ever. I think they showed this girl's boobs because yeah. it's a softcore porn and they don't basically respect her as much or they asked her if they could. Or I, I don't know, like maybe they just they just figured like this is her job. She's a porn actress. Like so they're going to they probably asked her, like, would you like to be on Terrace House? And like if she's on Terrace House, like, you know, that's going to boost her face and her name because like mm-hmm. her name's going to go out. So then that's like going into what, 90 different countries. So mm-hmm. like technically she's showing her boobs for like a second. It's she- the attention. Yeah, and, like, they're not technically showing it in the porn way. They're showing them actually acting. I think it would be different if they were showing, like, the actual scene. Because if you cut the scene, the scene will look like porn. But I feel like when you film people acting, like, it should, like, this is, like, what it's like when you act. Like, I feel like I've I've been a featured extra in a horror movie where I get stabbed and murdered. And, like, most of the day is just sitting around and, like, waiting. And then, like, someone stands over you with a plastic knife in a basement and, like, pretends to stab you as you scream with corn syrup blood in your mouth. And, like, you're staring up at him and you're just, like, giggling and screaming. And then you're like, oh, crap, I'm supposed to be screaming instead of giggling and then you scream again because this dude, you just had lunch, like, three hours ago. And you were talking about how, like, fun, like, you know, cats are. Like, it's just, you know, like... It's just, it's so random, like, so I just feel like it, it, it was also context, and it's like, we haven't, I, I feel like it's nice, but also, like, was it necessary, but then, I, I feel like, yeah, it's a gratuitous, but, you know, I feel like they showed his, I mean, they showed a little bit of his balls, too, so, like, I mean, was it equal? No, but, I mean, eh. <laughs> why do you think they chose to show it? I think it was just a shock factor. I think they wanted people to talk about it. I think they wanted to get the audience's attention. Because I feel like maybe they felt like they needed to be more competitive with, like, other Netflix shows. I don't know. Maybe they felt like their 
like i mean technically like the bachelor would never do something like this but comparatively to like a bachelor type show there isn't as much like you know sloppy sex and making out Mm -hmm. so maybe they felt like they had to like cater to a foreign audience that's a little bit more sexually mature and unrestrictive comparatively Mm -hmm. anyway penny tells shohei that he's not sure what he wants anymore because something is holding him back Oh, when it comes to him and Risiko, so like in in him and Haruka, like he said, like he kind of talks about the date and it was like he just doesn't really know and like what he wants. And he's just like, something's holding me back, but I don't know why. And then Shohei basically tells Kenny if he doesn't take a chance, their relationship will always stay the same parallel him and Risiko's. And Kenny says that as a man, it's probably his job to make the first move. Shohei tells Kenny that Risiko said she was emotionally prepared for a kiss that night on the roof during their date and was hoping he would plant one on her, but doesn't share that she said if he doesn't make the first move, she'll lose interest in him. So I felt like I wanted, I just, obviously this is like a long question, but comparatively to like previous instances of people sharing information that they've learned independently on their own to other people in the house and dispersing information like little gossip what is it called in great game of thrones like the little little birds or like little sparrows or whatever Uh uh-huh so like what what did you think about this like shohei's selective sharing of his insider info like how did you feel like he handled this situation i think it's fine that he told penny because when even when risika was kind of revealing her thoughts like i think it was like she wished that she could have told Kenny these things. You know, like, I think she wishes that Kenny knew these things. And I think Shohei was that middleman. No, I definitely agree. I feel like Risiko is definitely someone who has in the past also told Shohei, like, who's opened up to Shohei and been like, so can you tell Kenny? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I kind of feel like I'm like, she made it like, wanted him to be the, the middleman. <laughs> be like, hint, hint. I think that, like, there was a growth moment here with Shohei too. And like, I feel like in the like so like until now on this show when people have told other people in this house information that they know about someone else in the house or like something that someone else said and they relay it they never actually hold any information back mm-hmm. which I felt like they just say whatever and they don't care how the other person feels yeah. but I felt like in this situation Shohei was very careful about telling Kenny that he needs to kind of do something like he basically communicated what Risiko was saying but without actually being like if you don't make a move she's basically threatening to like lose interest because that's basically like that's the problem like there's a time limit that's that's her ultimatum she's saying if Mm -hmm. he doesn't make a move I'm done so like there it's urgent so that's why Shohei is telling Kenny but like he's thinking enough about the other person and the situation and not just about Kenny but also about Risiko and that in the way that he tells Kenny yeah. he tells him in a way that makes him hit Kenny is the one who says as a man I feel like maybe it's my job to make the first move so mm-hmm. Kenny basically realizes that Kenny thinks that it's his idea when it's actually Risiko's ultimatum yeah. so like it's really brilliant kind of how he kind of made like worked this situation like I feel like like I felt like it was very mature and also very like empathetic and also very thoughtful 
in the way that he's just like, okay, I'm gonna try to help, but I'm also like using my common sense because <laughs> I have a brain. And I know that probably it's not a good idea to communicate an ultimatum, but, like, help him realize that he needs to do this on his own because it's not, like, what she's saying is completely fair. And she's basically been throwing herself at him and giving him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and he is not doing anything. He just needs a little push, and Shohei was that little push. I thought it was really smart. I felt like a lot of people in the house need to watch this and learn from it. When they watch this episode, they need to take <laughs> notes because it's really, it's, it's masterful. Anyway, Kenny and Risiko make plans to go to dinner someplace they can dress up, which was super cute. Mm-hmm. And basically, Risiko asks Kenny if he has any concerns about anything ever. Like, how does he have like things that keep him up at night? He's like, sure. And then Risiko uses this as an opportunity to talk about Ruka. And basically, like, she's like, he needs help, blah, 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 blah. And then she says, you need to be a big brother and give him help and advice. Which I, I, my initial reaction was like, girl, he sucks at giving advice. Like, he is the last <laughs> giving anyone advice. Like, yeah. no. Stop. <laughs> and then I loved the editing in this scene where it immediately cuts to the kitchen and Haruka cooking with the rest of the house and (laughs) Haruka is slightly bitterly audibly wondering if the if the two of them are being all lovey-dovey upstairs (laughs) she's like they've been up there for a while which I thought was it's like a little bitter and then so Kenny and Risiko pull Ruka aside and (laughs) attempt to give him advice which uh, literally like I, I was basically like it took all of my energy to not skip over the scene because I literally just wanted to skip it because I just, I cannot stand Kenny anymore. I just, I can't. I just, I can't. I just can't. I just like, I was like sitting there and I was like, who do you think you are, sir? I don't know. (laughs) I I don't. I'm like, why are you doing this? You do not care. Like, it's just, ugh. I just don't like people who, like, are, do things to, like, protect their image. It's just not. I don't know. Um, I'm just so annoying. Because I feel like he needs to take his own advice. Like, ugh, God. Ridiculous. So Kenny tells Ruka he needs to put in more effort to find out what his other options are future-wise other than Marvel. And Risiko tells Ruka that Haruka, uh, this I felt like was kind of warranted, but I, it's a little harsh. <laughs> Rizuko tells Ruka that uh, Haruka and Kori don't treat him like a kid because they want to. It's more that they're reacting to how Ruka is behaving, more like they're adjusting to him. She says, quote, you say you want to be this admirable kakoyi person, so it makes me wonder why you put up with them treating you like a child. If you didn't like it, instead of just asking them to stop treating you that way without changing, there are ways you can actively change that dynamic have to show them that you're mature basically they tell him that he's too reliant on other people then it goes to i felt like it went to the advice from the carpenter man so basically Mm -hmm. it comes to this point where it's just like advice 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 everyone in the house is just like nah you suck (laughs) pretty much (laughs) and then the next morning happens. Ruka goes outside and there's a wise old carpenter man. He is actually a recurring Terrace House character. Character? Character? <laughs> recurring Terrace House. 
personality, human being. I like to call them human beings because beans are cute and so are human beings. And so is this man. He's adorable. I love him so much. I felt like listening to his advice was like exactly what I needed in the moment for myself. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciated his advice. So I'm actually just yeah. going to read it as he gave it. It's basically like a monologue because all Ruka did in between, he was like agree with him. So I'm just going to yeah. read it because it's just really profound. And I feel like I, I just, I need to read it. Okay. So guys, Carpenter Man, he actually... A little history. Uh, he gave a job to like past house members, Armin from Hawaii season, who wanted to be a firefighter. And he's been on the show. He like, if they ever need any sort of like repair for the house, this is the crew that does the carpenting and okay. the repairs for the house. So they do all of the repairs to all of the terrace house and they maintain the gardens and everything as well. So he gives great advice to 20, 20 is he 21 yet? Did he have a birthday? I think he's a Capricorn, so no, probably doesn't. Anyway, he's 20, saying that as long as he's not married and young, he still has time to figure life out. So he says, quote, right now you should try out everything that sparks your interest. You literally have all the options in the world. They won't even count as mistakes if you try them right now. But these questions that you're asking about what to do with your future or how to become a respectable adult your philosophy of what kind of man you want to be. That quest never ends. It's not just 20-year-olds who are thinking about this. To this day, I still think about what becoming a cool guy in the future would look like for me. It's always crossing my mind. Whatever you believe on the inside is what people will read from you. So you have to challenge yourself to grow emotionally and mentally. To this, Ruka says he doesn't like who he is on the inside, to which the carpenter man says everyone feels that way. Everyone has something going on inside, even people who are lucky and have everything handed to them eventually have to come to terms with themselves. You can't learn or move forward unless you keep trying and making mistakes. So what do you think about this carpenter's advice? And, like, how does his advice differ from Kenny's multiple attempts at dispensing advice this episode, be it to, like, Corey or Ruka? Like, what do you think is different? Well, a big thing is that a lot of the other house members were like, figure it out, figure out your life, blah, 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 you know, take steps to get there, etc. The carpenter is like, try everything, make your mistakes. You have time to figure it out. You don't have to figure it all at once. I think he kind of gives them a breath of fresh air that, like, you don't necessarily have to have your life figure out right now. You know, you could still be doing that for the next 20 years. In three years, you may not be where you thought you would be. And that's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to keep trying. I think that was a big thing because I think Ruka may have started to feel the pressure from the other house members that were like, you know, grow up, figure it out figure out what you want to do blah 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 they were kind of on his case about that and I thought what the carpenter had to say was really really refreshing for him yeah I feel like it was a really great kind of like foil to the other mentor which mm-hmm. is Ori's mentor kind of like yeah I feel like a lot of his advice the carpenter's advice comes from experience and yeah he his advice is to try everything and and make mistakes which yeah it's a huge part of it okay yeah exactly which 
clearly he's learned through his life from making mistakes. And he said, like, you know, yeah, everyone in the house is telling you, like, oh, you want to be this cool guy. Like, what the hell is this, quote, cool guy? And, like, this man is like, well, I still think about that. I still wonder what it is. What is it for me? What is that? What what is it in my mind that makes someone cool or admirable? Like, what is something? What are traits that make me feel that other that make me feel that way about other people and how can I adopt those into my life because Mm -hmm. I don't think it's as superficial as people think I think that his whole thing about being cool is also to be like responsible respectable I mean obviously part of the hero thing is like a superhero thing but when he talks to Haruka about the Japanese historical man that he finds very like inspiring like obviously he doesn't remember specifically like his entire his entire story and like you know one might question like the like integrity of his comments that that is really like who inspires him if like he doesn't actually know what he did but I think it's okay I think like you're still learning and I think like you know who inspires you and I think the important part is that you need to be around people who will help you grow and people who want to bring you up instead of pull you down and I think that I'm not not fully saying that like I don't think that like maybe even that Corey or Haruka or anyone in the house realizes what they're doing could be interpreted in that way and I think Mm -hmm. thankfully Haruka seems to be the type of person who can take constructive criticism like at face value and use it to change immediately, which is what we saw in the prior episode, uh, two episodes ago, I think, when the girls basically mentioned to the boys that they weren't being assertive enough. And then he immediately, after that, like, literally almost immediately, went to go ask Corey out. And, like, that's hard. Like, as you know, I think that that's super admirable. Like, even if he is misunderstood or naive, at least he does kind of, like, as soon as he takes something... He puts it into action. And I yeah. think that's something that's super admirable because not many people like it's definitely what the panelists said before about like when you start growing, you have this pride. And I think that that is a huge theme this episode, which Corey also like mentions right now. She's having a crisis of confidence. She's having imposter syndrome because of her pride. She realized that she's a much more prideful person than she expected because mm-hmm. she thought that she's embarrassed she's basically embarrassed because she thought that she's saying that I thought I she's like and because her advisor told her this thing that she think that oh you're you basically got here sheerly out of luck and you should be grateful and that you're being cocky and arrogant and like you have like the skills of an elementary person drawing like I don't know why you think you have such a big head which I feel like you do need to have a little bit of a wake up call maybe, but like that's really harsh and there are ways to say it and there are ways to nurture talent. Like, yeah, brutal. like in a way where like Corey does it. Corey is questioning herself this entire episode. She's internalized what he said as not feedback to get like she will maybe get better, but like she could also take this and like she's like, I'm depressed. Like, I'm upset. She's getting drunk. Like, yeah, she doesn't even drink just that much. Spewing it. Yeah. You know? It's just you're seeing like this is physically not sitting with her because yeah. it's an attack. Like, it's it's traumatic. It's hurtful, like, to to hear that. 
because they don't need to do that. And so when you're and as someone who has only experienced that from their mentor, as a mentor, you're going to be the same way if that's how you experience mentorship and you think that that is that that they have your best interest at heart because she says that she says I think it's constructive I think I deserve this feedback he's being honest with me he only has my best interest at heart this is what she said so in her mind she might just think that this is how you give advice this is how you be a mentor so her mentor is not just doing a disservice to her but he's just doing a disservice to anyone who she'll come in contact with in the future unless she under she realizes that this is what she's doing because mm-hmm. this will now be a cycle that she'll perpetuate. Yeah. And then the next person that she mentor that gets mentored by her could possibly do this to another person. And then you know what I mean? Like because yep. Ori probably wouldn't be this way if her advisor had hadn't reacted that way to her. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like it's a natural reaction. She's lashing out. She's mad. Yeah. You know? She's like, I'm working this hard and they're telling me that screw you and you have all these opportunities and you're not even trying. Of course, she's her feelings, her hurt feelings are valid. But because you're feeling hurt, it doesn't mean that you need to like it's he is still 20. Like you're it's a little harsh. Like I get that they care about him, but like it's I feel like it's very severe. So like I, I feel like it's very like it makes sense. But like you see the foil, like I'm so thankful for that carpenter because his advice is just so nurturing and so great and so fantastic. And I feel like that's the advice that he needs. And I think that you need that nurture in order to grow. And I don't think that it's coddling at all because I think I think he was I think he was fair. And I think it's mm-hmm. it's honest. I think he does need to try everything that he wants. Cause I, okay. I if you you should try because he's true. If you do try it at a young age, it doesn't count as a mistake because you basically did it earlier. It's you have a lot more at stake when you're older. And I think that Corey says that too. She says that she wishes she if she knew what she wanted earlier, she would have wishes she didn't waste that time. Yeah. So that's why she's angry with him. Basically, she's basically angry at an older version of herself because she got criticized. So she's getting mad at her own self. She's not technically getting mad at him. So I feel like deep psychology stuff. The final thing is this cute little pasta. So after all of this advice, right? Mm -hmm. After after his his uh, carpenter man, then then what does he do? So then Ruka takes the advice given to him and decides to cook for himself. This is kind of a piece of advice that Risiko had kind of given him that was like, stop being reliant on other people. And if you're hungry, cook for yourself. <laughs> so Ruka doesn't have Rich. to keep asking you, have you eaten today, Ruka? <laughs> and with no like real experience cooking, he attempts just... to make himself pasta. I thought oh it was God. really interesting that he decides to do it with Haruka and Quarry present. I was like, may or may not have been deliberate, but I thought that was interesting. So Haruka and Corey at the kitchen table, just kind of working and chilling and teasing him as he cooks. It's pretty clear that they look down on his cooking abilities, you know, making jokes like, oh, like, he could just make a soup out of that or making fun of him cutting up the broccoli. He was trying to make (laughs) pasta, (laughs) carbonara pasta with broccoli. And it just, it didn't really work out for him. You know, they ask him how it is, and he says that the pasta doesn't really have any flavor. And later, the the commentators are talking, 
and it just he didn't really cook with much common sense and no one was sure if he was following any kind of recipe no because like literally i mean he like no recipe would have told him to crack the egg in the pasta water that gets dumped out (laughs) like 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 what haruka was saying was totally valid like she said her breath because what he does is he like cooks pasta like you're cooking pasta like normal and pasta water in a pasta like pot a, yeah. a tall one and he cracks a like raw egg, egg one two into the pasta water as the pasta is cooking right yeah and then he cuts, like with scissors he cuts broccoli the broccoli head into pieces with scissors not a yeah. knife just scissors and they're like oh they kind of say it's like um <laughs> like K barbecue like when you yeah. cut with scissors K barbecue <laughs> and they're like oh that's a cream barbecue okay and then, and then they're like they're like questioning like what they think he's gonna do next and then Haruka's like well if he puts like a bouillon or like some sort of like you know <laughs> broth base in his soup then it could be like a consomme or like a broth a brothy soup pasta like a noodle soup you know <laughs> Like, it could be, like, a chicken noodle soup or, like, something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it could yeah, be, like, like a soup. Turn this round for him. <laughs> he takes a colander and he pours the pot into his colander and he basically cuts all of the water out and all of that egg water is just drained out. Everything that's left is the pasta, whatever remnant egg poached scrambled egg <laughs> something is like on the egg or on the pasta itself like fragments of egg not all of it anyway because it just drained out and the and the broccoli and so there's no flavoring because he didn't put any salt he didn't put any nothing it's just egg water with pasta spaghetti and and broccoli (laughs) he eats it all though i'm very he does he was like i'm gonna go back for seconds i was like well i'm in Like, I get it that he wants to appear more grown up to the girls, but now we kind of get to see why he's babied so much and, like, why the girls act the way they do around him. Like, I definitely, like, I also, like, even though I'm criticizing him, I am a terrible cook. But I, I, it's true, like, I am a lazy and terrible cook. I have enough common sense, like, I'm, I'm a really lazy cook, but I feel like I use my brain I'm gonna throw that water out. Why would you flavor it with Put egg, salt, or or pepper, or any any like no seasoning, none? Yeah, none. Like there was there was like it's literally just plain pasta. So it's like yes, even though I know for me, I know that I'm not a good cook. I know that I at least have some common sense, and I'm someone that like I will follow a recipe and I will follow a recipe yes. to a T. Yes. Like I will yeah. not experiment like I will read that recipe over and over I will read it line by line to make sure that I don't do anything like that's not in it because I just know like I don't trust myself he has a phone <laughs> like and and the thing is like they asked him like what are you making and they're like a carbonara pasta and they're like okay well if you know what you're making then why don't you look it up like I, yeah I, I, it's just, it's, like it, it almost in a way almost hurt him it just can perpetuated the childish look that he gives it doesn't even look like carbonara <laughs> it, it literally just looked like plain pasta so i wanted to ask you if you were one of the girls in the house would you also perceive ruka as more of a younger brother 
And what advice would you give him if you could? Do you think that Corey's in reaction, Haruka and Corey's reaction cooking was valid? Like, just kind of the teasing and kind of making fun of him and babying him. I mean, honestly, if it was happening in front of me, like, it would be very shocking. But I felt like what was more shocking was the fact that they, like, I don't, I mean, I just didn't know if, like, that was, like, if they did that because they were, like, he needs to learn. Or, like, I was just, I mean, that, I mean, I think it was good that they didn't step in and try to, like, mother him. Yeah. Anymore. And they, like, made him learn his lesson. They just kind of let him do it. Yeah. And not be like, because I feel like this is something that I suffer from. Because like I would probably be like, you don't you want to put some salt in? That? <laughs> <laughs> you would have stepped in and salting it for him. <laughs> exactly. Like I would just be like, did you look up a recipe? Like yeah. I you go like are, are, like I would I would just question it a little bit more because like I think like if you're not gonna if you're not gonna give any input I think that sniggering about it and like in front of him was rude and like very in poor taste and like I don't have siblings so like I don't know if that's like a sibling thing that like you would it make totally that. is yeah oh yeah but to me it was just like like why wouldn't you like if you're gonna talk like just like why don't you like let like tell him to do something else like if it's like just let him suffer because <laughs> yeah. I feel like he would try but I guess like they always do it for him so like I guess they were like well at least he's making an initiative because they told they're basically said in so many words he needs to so I, th- I mean I just I think it's like you know just watching your kid do something for the first time it's like uncomfortable but like you know they have to do it and yeah. it doesn't like it doesn't make you feel nice but like you know but they got unless he it, like, now he'll season his pasta. Unless he learns to self-soothe, like he's gonna need like you forever, you know, and yeah. he's gonna cry all the time, like like a little puppy. So mm-hmm. gotta let him teach himself how to feed. Which yeah. I mean, honestly, like this is something I work with with my mom, where I just feel like sometimes when I'm not around, she like actually has to like find a way to feed herself because like <laughs> I'm not around to like order her Postmates or like uh-huh. go buy her food so like but when we live together in the same roof and like I'm around or I'm not busy like she always will be like Michelle can you order me like this and I'll be like mom like first of all like where do you think this money is coming from like (laughs) order you postmates like twice a day every day like I don't understand like and then it gets frustrating sometimes but it's just like why am I doing it cook for yourself then I, but then the thing is, like, my mom doesn't know how to use the phone. So, like, obviously, like, right now it's different because we're in quarantine and it's COVID-19. And, like, you know, I need to be able to help her out because, like, it's a good thing. And, like, I don't. Yeah. But then it's kind of it, it does. I understand where it gets to a point where you're just like you're where sometimes when you have a lot of other things going on in your own life it gets to this point where you're like, dude, like, it's not that hard. I do this for you all the time. I I know you can do it because I've experienced you doing it. And like, I need you to care enough to do it for yourself because it's, I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah, like, which we're I like fully capable. And the girls are yeah. just kind of like, all right. Yeah. They're like, I mean, the fact that, I mean, the, the panelists bring it up. They're like, why he has a phone. Like, you can Google a recipe on your cell phone. It's not like, you know, 1952. When, like, you know, you didn't have a cell phone and, like, you had to buy a recipe or make one up. Like, you can yeah. look one up. It's not that hard. Like, you don't have to, like, unless you have a recipe, you couldn't make it back then. So like He was trying to be all confident and knowing 
they're like, oh, have you cooked before? And he's like, ah, not really. It's my first time making pasta. There's something really, I don't know. It's just very, like, refreshing about the fact that, like, about his cooking that pasta, though. I don't know if it's just mm-hmm. me, but I felt it was really refreshing. Like, he just, I feel like someone who doesn't have a, that ego or that pride in, like, and, like, not to say that he doesn't have pride, because I'm sure he does, because you'll, and you'll see, like, he does, well, and, but, like, in the sense of, like, he doesn't have a pride or an ego that prevents him from trying things that yeah. he's never I think he is just very like open to to try new things and challenge himself like I mean for for so much that people are like well you need to try and like you need to challenge yourself more but like when he does decide to try something different or challenge himself he is probably the only person in the house who could do it like this who could be so like pure about it like I feel like his intentions are so pure and honorable and like it's just like very like what you see is what you get like there's no ulterior motive and I love that like it's just so refreshing to watch like I don't know it's just really cool to see men who are like vulnerable like that in a way for someone who says like I don't like for someone who people think like they're like oh he's so immature he is very emotionally mature I think Mm -hmm. Because he says to the carpenter, he's like, well, I don't like, I think that I'm really like, I don't know. I don't like myself. I think I'm like really not cool at all. I think I'm super uncool on the inside. And like to be able to readily admit that to some older man you've never met before, like, you know, and like for him to be like, I think everyone thinks that way. It's not just you. Like, don't worry about it. Most people wouldn't say that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be open like I would that. Admit that. Yeah. To some person you've never met before, especially someone who's like older than you, like that, mm-hmm. you know, you would f- probably normally feel like, oh my God, I'm wasting this guy's time. Like, you know, like, mm-hmm. what am I doing? <laughs> like, he doesn't need to hear about my bullshit. Like, so yeah, I just thought that that's, it's just, I feel like for, for so much of like what, of like the stuff, like the crap he gets, I think like there's just something so, like I don't know admirable about him that people can really like learn and be inspired by because I feel like a lot more people need to like bring a little Ruka into their life in the sense of like you know just really trying like because to not be afraid to like fail that miserably even when you're like your roommates are like laughing at you two girls who were kind of interested in are like snickering people could use a little Ruka Yep. Anyway, that's it. We're finally done. I can finally unlock Caitlin from what is it? This like prison that I've kept her in on my phone. <laughs> hey, we're all in quarantine anyway. <laughs> uh, here we are. So as per usual, you can find us on the social medias at Terrorist Owl. Uh, keep listening to find out more. Our Patreon will most likely go live next week. I am working on it this weekend. So uh, keep a lookout. We're like proving music and everything. Um, it's very exciting. So when that happens, we will release info on the pod and also on our social media channels so make sure you check us out and uh put your notifications on and caitlin where can we find you on social media 
So you guys can find me on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at Big Screen Books. And I have a website, KatelynFoster.com, that will be up soon. I know I keep saying that. I'm a busy, busy gal. (laughs) It will be ready. (laughs) You are an essential worker, but it's all about that brand wreck. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at Tediously Brief. Uh, And you can find my bookstagram at Traveling Book Nerds, all one word on Instagram, where I talk about all my books and comics and things like that. And yeah, I think that's it. I, I'm pretty sure I went through all of that. Oh, we are now on iHeartRadio. Did I mention that? I forgot. Ooh, not. I mentioned that last week. I, think I mentioned that when you got dropped off that ending that one time. Mm. I didn't need to tell the listeners that, but whatever. <laughs> Technical difficulties were revealing. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe as always. Be kind to everyone, especially your essential workers, and make sure you're staying home, washing your hands, six feet PPE, cloth masks when you go outside. What else? Did I miss anything? I think that's it. See you next next time. Bye! Bye! Goodbye! Hi, everyone. This is Jack again, just popping in to let you know where you can find us and listen to us on the interwebs. So like every podcast in the world, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, but you can also find us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Podchaser, and so many others. Whatever your favorite provider is, you will be able to find Terrorist Out Podcast. If there's somewhere that we are not, please be sure to email us and let us know so we can submit and get us on there because we want to cover all of the spots. And you can find us at terroristout at gmail.com. And while you are going down the list of all of these wonderful distribution platforms for Terrorist Out, be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts slash iTunes to rate, review, subscribe, let us know what you think of the show thus far. We absolutely would appreciate it. And thank you so much for taking the time. And be sure to DM us your comments, questions, and opinions over on the Twitter and Instagram at Terrorist Out. 